All right. I'm here with Dave Ferguson, one of my musical gurus, one of my best friends. All his good friends call him Wilderness. What's up, buddy? Oh, thank you, Danny. Good to be here. Uh, longtime listener, first time caller. Yes. Talk lines draft and how they screwed that up. <laughs> yes, the Drive Time podcast. Can't wait. Um, yeah, happy that you're here, man. This is going to be awesome. I, I feel like the way that we have always talked about music lends itself to uh, the podcast. And I apologize that it took 13 episodes to get you going here. That's okay. It's lucky number 13, right? You you were just waiting for that exact moment. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Oh, my beer is spilling all over me. That's a good start. Um, it's a, it's all right. exactly how we usually start. We we start by <laughs> cracking the beers. We get a little sloppy early because we don't know how to do it. And then, uh, you know, about halfway through, we hit our stride and we start arguing about points that we never thought we'd be making in the first place. True. Yes, we're so good at arguing things that don't matter. It, definitely, definitely true. Um, all right. So the album you chose was Middle Brother by Middle Brother. Middle Brother is the first album of one albums by Middle Brother. The album was produced by Adam Landry and was released March 1st, 2011. Uh, we have a lot to get into as far as how this band is kind of uh, what you'd call a super group, um, the principles of which uh, we'll, we'll surely get into, but uh, from a primal sense, David, how does this album make you feel? Well, it, it's this album is like one of those like just amazing breakup albums. You know, like it, 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 it's amazing that they name themselves middle brother because there are a lot of those themes throughout, you know, like a middle brother is constantly trying to prove themselves. A middle brother um, screws up all the time uh, just just to get the attention of it all. So, you know, those themes are kind of played out throughout. But, you know, just in general, it's like this this sense of loss. And, and at times it's almost like, you know you know wiser people than us once said it's better to love and loss than never loved at all well you know these are the relationships that they sing about that you know you get out on the other side of and you're probably not a better person for it so <laughs> you know it's 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 almost this like comedic you know you know uh, comedy of errors that goes on with these people throughout the themes of these songs but it's you know, at, at the end, they, they learn their lessons, but it's almost like you wish they had learned them an easier way. I feel that. I feel that. I, I thought uh, in going through, and I had never heard this before, uh, I'm not especially familiar with the bands that combined to form this, with the exception of Deer Tick. And we're going to get to we're going to get to Deer Tick. I've got some some stuff with that. But I, I thought that there was kind of a longing tone throughout the album. There was like a uh this is where i am and without with where i'm at is not where i want to be just uh, a lot of odes to things that aren't had um and it's it's interesting you say breakup album i never i didn't really frame it that way as i was listening to it but that makes a lot of sense um i feel uh that this album is a great combination of a lot of different genres uh, that we like. Uh, I said that it's a cocktail, uh, two parts folk, one part Americana, one part rock, an alt country garnish, and a singer songwriter rinse. Um, it's very balanced. 
uh, it's a very well balanced album, not front loaded or anything like that. I, I, uh, overall really enjoyed it. I, f- I feel great listening to this album. Um, so with that, uh, what's the most interesting interest instrument on this album for you? Well, I'm, I'm going to kind of, uh, uh, go right for it. And, and I'm going to say the guitar that is going on on blood and guts. So oh, blood and guts all right. is, you know, one of those songs on this whole thing, you know, again, it's this, uh, you know, this breakup song, you know, where he's talking about this girl that, that has left him. And, uh, you know, he cites all the reasons why she's left him. Like, you know, you've, you, you know, you, you say I, I act too tough, but then he starts screaming about how he wants to sing to her with blood and guts. You know, this is this like total lack of, of self-awareness of what he's doing to this person. And yet he still wants to like be with her throughout all of this. And in the background of this entire song is this guitar that slowly builds up this anger that's inside. And, uh, you know, that guitar was actually a guest spot by Jason Isbell. And this is, you know, Jason Isbell in 2011, which is, you know, if he's not at rock bottom, he's very close to rock (laughs) bottom. You know, he's, you know, he's been kicked out of the drive-by truckers for alcoholism. You know, he's, He's moved to Nashville. He's started to cut his own solo work. You know, he's met uh, at this point, you know, he's met his future wife, you know, who is in the process probably of trying to get him sober. But, you know, he's still probably another two years away from from actually realizing that goal of his, you know. So he is still, you know, very hard in the party scene, hanging out with these three guys, you know, that are lead singers of other bands. And, you know, he adds this background guitar that, that again just adds this extra layer to this song that that uh, Taylor Goldsmith, who's the the lead singer of Dawes, who does this song, you know he's he's screaming like, like I said he's just screaming about this like you know I, I the whole song is just basically summed up by the lyric of you know I, I, I wish I cared you were leaving but if I did you probably wouldn't you know like that's the whole song. <laughs> I feel that man. I I certainly wrote this down as well. Uh, Isbell has a certain kind of signature in the way he plays his guitar and that line throughout blood and guts has a lot of character we're talking a lot about anguish and we're talking about isbel and uh you know john joseph mccauley a guy that we'll get to who's had a a myriad of issues as well so i'll go backwards just for a minute and ask like where what is like the kind of emotional tone of the record for you like did you listen to this when it came out? Like when you listen to it, does it bring something up? Is it, uh, or is it just, you're just able to kind of listen to it and pull these things apart and they don't actually necessarily have tentacles to like emotional parts, uh, of things that happen to you. Um, this particular album, I won't say in that sense that I do kind of compartmentalize it. Like I do, I definitely listened to it when it first came out. Um, and and in that sense, you know, these, these three, you know, these three guys that lead, you know, lead these bands that came together, you know, I was fans of theirs kind of individually with, you know, Deer Tick, you know, as you mentioned, kind of taking a lead to that. Now, if you had told me the same thing about, you know, Deer Tick's, uh, debut album, uh, Born on Flag Day, which came out, you know, pre this album. Um, yeah, you know, there is there is definitely, you know, emotional because it's got that same sort of, you know, heartbreak and, and anguish and anger type of growl to it, to it all, too. Yep. And, 
that was one of definitely one of those albums that in in my life you know at that time it was definitely one of those you know oh i'm i'm you know there's anguish there's anger there's there's all this stuff going on um you know when this album was coming out that was more of a a a period of rebirth for me and any if anything you know i had finally okay. kind of gone out and in the real world but this was definitely one of those albums that that still kind of talked about that you know that that scene that we we still hung out in you know that that the those concerts the the sound the the bars the vibe that we were all getting it, even bars yeah but like you know it's you know, to bring up a different song that comes on later in the album, you know, when when uh, uh, at the very end, there's a talk about, you know, I, you know, Mama gave her camera to her little star, but all she gets are pictures of hotels and bars. You know, that's where our life kind of was at that point. You know, it was, yeah. you know, hey, we're going to go make ourselves in in this world. We're going to we're going to become something we're going to we're going to change the world. And then, you know, you kind of end up you're like, you know what? But but all I'm ending up seeing doing that is hotels and bars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love that. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, uh, clearly much different experience for me. I listened to it for the first time just a, a few weeks ago. And I, I would say that a lot of the energy on this album, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is is a little it's it's far away from where i'm feeling now so uh in that way it was e it was easy for me to identify some of these themes some of that longing the anguish uh some of that other stuff and it's i would say that it's pretty cool that they're able to source a lot of that stuff when you get three principles of other bands coming together and and making it together and then also keeping it cohesive you know, like like, it's it's tough to to bring all those elements together and make them work. So um, to answer the question directly, uh, there's a certain instrument I really enjoyed on this, and it was the the Saluni Westworldy Jerry Lee Lewisy piano, uh, which appears on uh, Blue Eyes, Middle Brother, and Me Me Me. And uh, it's just like, it really rings, um, it, it just brings a really interesting tone to those songs. There's a lot of like really specific notes throughout the album. If you're looking at it broadly, I'd say that sonically it all sounds of a piece for sure. But there's certain moments where it's like, whoa, uh, there's a couple tracks we'll get to when we get to that section where uh, that really stood out for me. But yeah, I wrote down Isbell on guitar. Uh, the first time I listened to Blood and Guts, it didn't really stick with me. And then I listened to it again and I was like, damn, that guitar is pretty special. And it was pretty cool reading afterward that he um, he had come through. And then the other thing I'd written down is just the rotisserie of songwriters and singers that you have. Like uh, I'd, I'd kind of started touching on it, but the the rare, brilliant ensemble of front men, you know, like these are all three frontmen of bands. These, this isn't like the bassist from this band and X from this band. Like like getting uh, that many songwriters together uh, is a challenge. And if you go through and you look at the writing credits, it's really interesting how it really does rotate from just like Macaulay, Vasquez, Goldsmith, Macaulay, Vasquez, Goldsmith. Like they're all, you know, written by different um, lead men, but they all come together and it sounds of a piece, you know, which is pretty cool. Um, pretty unique. So yeah, you, when, 
when you bring uh, when you bring three alphas into a room like that, you know, it can either it can either come up to something that's really amazing or it can absolutely crash and burn. You know, we've yeah, you know, we could we can all point to the true times that it really worked out. You know, your crowds be stills, Nash and Young. Um, you, you know, your your traveling Wilburys, you know, when when you can get these alphas together, but like far too many times it just turns into a pissing contest. And it and it yeah. really didn't feel like that during this album. It felt more like you know, three guys that kind of respected each other's sound, uh, that felt that they were similar but not exactly the same. Um, that felt that they could kind of that that felt like they just had this like outpouring of creativity, and it, it almost feels like these were you know songs he almost even picked up off the cutting room floor of their other bands. But they're like, you know what, I feel yeah. like something's still here. Let me try it with you guys. Yeah, and in, in all likelihood, that's very likely the case you know your songs that don't make it onto albums you're holding on to those ideas you workshop them elsewhere that's kind of how it works so it's very possibly what was going on here so uh that's what with we that foreshadowing yeah <laughs> uh what is <laughs> your favorite song on this album <laughs> favorite song has got to be wilderness so <laughs> I don't know why, but if you yes. wanted to say something that kind of like resonated with me in, in the moment, and I didn't want to totally give my answer away when you asked that question, but if there was a song that really resonated in that moment, it would be Wilderness, you know, because there are there are lyrics in there that, again, just seem to perfectly sum up exactly how I was feeling in back in 2011, you know, where nice. it was, you know, it, you know, this, this idea of, you know, uh, you, you know, I plan to be the guy that when he drinks, he disappoints, you know, you'll kill yourself before you know it, but isn't that the point? You know, I, it was this idea of like, all right, well, you know, we're not going to live forever. Let me, let me soften the blow by being an asshole. And it's like, well, no, hang on. That's not how you want to live your life. Like, don't do that dumbass. Or, you know, or, or later on, you know, they talk, you know, I, I, I plan to be a star, you know, shine along in the sunrise towards which I lend no part. It's like, you don't want to be that either. You asshole. You want to, you don't want to be that guy that that just kind of radiates the glow off of other people. You want to be someone that actually contributes to said glow. You know, you want to be that better person. You don't want to be the guy that softens the blow so that when you disappear, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, you want to have people missing you. <laughs> That's beautiful. I it's so cool that this this album, you know, not only is something you really enjoy, but clearly connect with. And uh, I think that that's what eventually kind of ultimately makes albums special is you have to enjoy how they sound, but they have to say something about your life. And it, it sounds like at that time, it was saying a lot about, you know, what you maybe didn't like about what was going on. And, and that can make it really special going on. I'm, I'm again, kind of looking through the glass at this and trying to just kind of piece together what it is for what it is. Um, and, and haven't had maybe that emotional connection with it. But I would say as far as the songs go, I liked quite a few. Um, I, I have this huge playlist. Do you, do you, let's, let's break into that. Do you fuck with playlists? What do, what do you do with playlists? How do you set these up? So whenever I'm setting up a playlist, it's usually based on mood or audience and sometimes both mood and audience. So, okay. you know, as a as a father, I definitely have that playlist of songs that are uh, keeping the swear words to a minimum. So there's that that type of playlist, you know. <laughs> You've got your playlist that is uh, for when you are hanging out with friends and you want to keep the energy high. Uh, you've got playlists for when you just want to chill and vibe. 
Um, frankly, the the album number two that we are going to get to is very much on that chillin' vibe type playlist, you know, repertoire. The one that you want to, you know, put your earbuds in, um, you know, maybe kick back, put your feet up. Maybe you're, you know, ideally you're sipping a drink next to a pool when you're doing this, you know. But that yeah. that relaxing attitude. That's, I mean, that, uh, how do you do the playlist? Okay, so follow up question. You so you'll make multiple playlists. Um, just like at a certain time, generally with like a, a specific kind of uh, energy or like a specific kind of uh, like vibe to it. But and then you'll just like keep them around and like maybe access them later or do you get rid of them or? Oh, no, the playlist is the playlist will always last forever. For example, I could show you on my phone right now. I still have the playlist that we made for your bachelor party uh, when we were cruising down the uh the, the river and tubes, you know, we needed a certain vibe going on for that. Uh, no one trusted their internet connection and I'm the only dinosaur that still saves all his music locally to his phone. So I put together ourselves a, a 10 hour playlist, which was far too much time that we would ever get through, but uh, <laughs> enough to get us uh, down that river and it, and it still lives on. And when I want to have that kind of vibe again, I still put that playlist on. Awesome, man. I that's really cool. I know that's kind of okay. So that's kind of similar to how Zach does it. I really admire how Zach does it. Zach has like backlogs, and they're all like, like time stamped by certain months of certain years and shit like that. Like I that's I really admire that. I it's it's not necessarily something that would work for me, um, but I certainly admire that. So uh, as far as how I go about it, I basically have one enormous playlist. Uh, that serves as like musical roulette. I think at this point it has like 1900 songs. Um, and it's just like, it's just kind of an ongoing, um, what I call it actually is yield. I've called it yield for uh, like many, many years as it is the yield of all the time I put into listening to music and finding what I like and whatnot. So I have this really big playlist. Uh, generally I'll do artist playlists. So when I, I, I really like going through all of, uh, an artist's albums uh, to get a, a feel for them. And I'll just pull songs that I like from them. So, uh, and then uh, on top of artist stuff, I have some one-off playlists. Like I have a dance mix. I have an instrumental mix. I have an abroad mix, which is just like uh, music from outside of the US. So a couple kind of one-offs, but mostly artist-based, or I have like this really huge one as well. So where I was going with that is uh, I was going to say that I saved seven of the 12 songs from this album uh, to my big list, which is a pretty damn good percentage. That's like a well above average uh, album for me. So uh, Blue Eyes, I liked. Middle Brother, I liked. Theater, I liked. Wilderness, Me, Me, Me. Uh, Someday. And then... Um, uh, mom and dad too. So, but my favorite, uh, and it's, and it's kind of goofy, but it's, it's someday, which to me is absolutely a Roy Orbison song. It's, it's almost like a, like a takeoff. It, it sounds so much like him. It's like straight off of in dreams in 63, but, uh, I really liked the, it didn't sound like a novelty. It sounded like their own thing, but it, it just like connected with me in a way. There's kind of like a doo-wop, backing vocal to it. it so i i just really i really dug that um but yeah we're talking about uh music that overall i really like we're, we're talking about uh kind of a folk alt country situation um that has a lot of utility for me as as far as like chilling and and that type of stuff one question i meant to ask earlier 
is I heard a lot of Wilco on this album. And, and you know, my vocabulary is not super broad, but uh, within a genre or a genre adjacent to this, I really love Wilco and I've listened to a ton of their music. If I remember correctly, you kind of hate Wilco. Is that where you left it? Uh, I don't necessarily hate Wilco. I just do okay. not love them on the same level as many of our brethren love Wilco. Got it. Okay, fair enough. So, so like you know, when when we we, we you know, obviously we have those friends that will argue that Hanky, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is one of the top five albums ever created. And while I don't hate it, I also don't like. I'm not like, oh man, I gotta I gotta break out my my Wilco because w- Wilco to me is just sort of one of those bands that very much. Uh, um while it, it is genre adjacent to it, it it is more of that music that just sort of seeps into the walls you know it's it's yeah. you get to the other side of it and you didn't even know you listened to it yeah I, i'm with you i'm with you on that i i really like wilco I, I would say that they might fall short of love there's like yankee hotels special uh sky blue sky is special i like summer teeth um but it, it just starts running short and then now you get into kind of modern Wilco where they continue to put out albums, which I appreciate, but there's always like two good songs on them and they can be really good songs. I'll give them that. But it's like, uh, Wilco put out an album. Do I need to listen to it? I don't need to listen to it right now. I'll get around to it or whatever. It's not like appointment uh, listening for sure. But yeah, I heard a ton of them on this album. I I heard uh, even a little Neil Young maybe uh, because of kind of the Americana grassroots type stuff. I heard the spirit of Woody Guthrie through a lot of this. Um, yeah. So a uh, couple songs I, I definitely liked. Um, Someday Standing Out, another favorite, maybe Me, Me, Me with the uh, the saloon piano in there. But yeah, plenty of plenty of solid tracks here. So moving well, along... See. It, Go ahead. It's interesting how you mentioned about like the different, you know, the instruments and the the piano and the and the doo wop and all that type of stuff too, because it's it's right around that time too. With you know, you can kind of see that same sort of transformation happen within the band of Deer Tick too. So you yeah. know, they had just came out with their debut album, which was very much you know, you know, John McCauley doing doing what he thinks is best. You know, his songwriting, his his sound, his growl. Um, then he kind of goes and he, he kind of does this thing with middle brother, but at the same time, he's, he's with his main band and they're recording um, uh, divine Providence. And right around that same time is when they brought on a new, a new singer songwriter, you know, guitarist into their band um, who was originally from, uh, uh, Oh gosh, now I'm going to blank on it. Cause I wasn't even anticipating talking about this random ass band. <laughs> no worries. Keep um, rolling. I'll look it up. But, yeah, but he so he comes on to this band, um, and 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 he does have that other you know doo wop sound to him all, uh, and and they bring on a piano player to kind of do that sound as well. So it's almost like you know he takes a lot of the lessons learned by by meeting these other guys from other bands that are bringing their sound on. It's like you know what I I gotta bring that uh, I gotta bring that sound on as well for me. You know, uh, I gotta I gotta um, you know incorporate a lot of these same thoughts. And it's Titus Andronicus. It totally hit me halfway through that sentence. <laughs> Holy shit, that's a blast from the past. I haven't listened. Jesus, I haven't thought about them in a long time. Um, they're not making music anymore, are they? I think they are. I think they've still continued to bl- make music. They just they you know they lost this one guy from the band. He went to Deer Tick, and they just kept chugging al- chugging along. <laughs> okay, would that be um, Andrew Tobison? 
No, he's the guy that left. So it'd be Ian O'Neill, I believe, is his name. Okay. That uh, joined the band, or talking about the guy who left? Uh, he. This is the guy that joined the band from Titus Andronicus. You know, so he oh, okay. brings a lot of that doo-wop sound to it all. Um, he starts introducing his own songs to a lot of Deer Ticks albums. So, you know, if you really look at that Divine Providence, that's when you first see a lot of a lot of his songs start to make it to the forefront. And John McCauley kind of takes more of a backseat, even within his own band, almost learning lessons again from from this experience with Middle Brother and 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 hearing some of the things that uh, that Vasquez was bringing to the table uh, at that time. Amazing insight. That's why that's why he's here. Uh, speaking of insights. David, what is an interesting insight about this album's production or story? All right. Well, I told you I was I was foreshadowing a little bit earlier. So there are quite a bit of number of these songs that are definitely, you know, cutting room floor. Uh, so both, you know, a lot of the songs that we've talked about um, earlier, but like specifically Wilderness and Million Dollar Bill. Uh, Million Dollar Bill is the one where they all kind of come in and, and sing their own verses within it. But those were all... Uh, songs that even came from his band that even predated Dawes as we know it today. Back then it was known as Simon Dawes. And okay. so he wrote these songs. Um, they just really didn't have the feel that he wanted them to do. Um, they didn't work out how they wanted them to work out. He leaves them, but they still kind of festered in his brain. He gets with these guys for middle brother and they, they just, you know, they, they turn it into exactly what they want to um, even to the point where like, you know, after the fact, after this uh, this album came out, you know, uh, uh, he ended up doing it again with Dawes. You know, he takes Million Dollar Bill and actually records it again using just Dawes um, and releases it on their album that followed this album. Um, nice. And then even for another uh, 10th anniversary album that uh, Dawes put out for another one uh, for their album, uh, they put out an early demo where they actually did... Uh, where they did wilderness um it doesn't come out quite with the same uh punch and vigor as it does on middle brother but uh it was definitely one of those those uh those songs that they thought was dead in the water totally worthless uh and and just found new life with a new group beauty um yeah i, I know very little about dawes uh but my insight actually relates to dawes as well i was looking through and I found this Dawes Instagram post from June 21st, 2021. Um, so a little less than one year ago, we put our only middle brother record uh, out 10 years ago and toured it hard the first half of the year and have played exactly one set since. It was at Newport in 2016. Now we're doing it for our 10 year anniversary. And of course it will be at Newport, Newport Folk Fest again. It's a unique band because not only does it depend on the DNA between us three singers, but maybe more importantly, it depends on this festival to light the spark, to really animate our Frankenstein's monster. In that sense, the Newport community are as close as you can get to being members of the band. We literally can't do it without you. So to me, that clearly is from uh, Taylor Goldsmith's perspective. Uh, that wouldn't be a social media manager. That wouldn't be another member of the band that clearly is, is him uh, writing that post. And then despite my, my efforts, I fell down a rabbit hole on Newport Folk Festival. Um, so uh, I'd never really like looked into it before, but I, I just kind of uh, went through and was looking at it. And then 
we're going to get the deer tick. I have a lot of deer tick stuff, but it seems like their live album that they put out in 2021 that was recorded in 2020 was actually recorded at Newport, if not um, the fourth that's right there. So I, th I thought that was interesting. So Newport Folk Fest began in 1959 and the inaugural show, by the way, feel free to jump in at any point here. I've, I've got an essay. Um, so the, the, the <laughs> no, festival. I'm very interested in this New York Newport Folk Festival because I because there's definitely been you know I, I'm sure you'll touch on it but there have been some incredible acts that have came through this stupid little Rhode Island town you know that 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 puts on this festival and uh, it, it it's incredible and and you mentioned that album by Deer Tick that's a really good live album because it's it's like right in the heart of COVID and so there's yeah. no audience whatsoever and you you know they have to address it at certain times and the during the album they're just like yeah this is this is super weird but we're gonna keep going <laughs> so I'm new to Deer Tick and I, I I didn't pick up on the nuances of the songs that they chose and and some of the the things that a, a more hardened seasoned fan like yourself would have picked up on but i did enjoy it and it was very interesting uh to hear them talking in between the tracks with just the silence during a live album it was it was unique to say the least so the festival began in 1959 and the inaugural show launched the national career of a then 18 year old joan Baez. Uh, Bob Dylan blasted into stardom at the 63 and 64 shows, twisting Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger's approach into an aesthetic and political bite that was eaten up by the blooming counterculture of the moment. On July 25th, 1965, Dylan played his first plugged-in set, uh, famously with Mike Bloomfield and the Paul Butterfield Blues Band uh, backing him. He famously drew brews from the crowd who perceived Dylan to be abandoning the folk orthodoxy. It was the exact shift in his creative direction from folk to rock and ultimately would have broad implications for both genres. Folk festival was always a little deceiving from its origin. It's been a showcase for numerous traditions, almost exclusively American in nature. Dylan's transformation garners the most attention, but the stage has been set uh, the site for revivals, renewals, and revisions for artists and genres at large. Blues artists, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Buddy Guy, John Lee Hooker, B.B. King, and Skip James all played the festival during the 60s, suggesting Newport Folk is a primary platform and character in the 60s blues revival, which immeasurably changed the face of popular music forever, uh, both in the works authored by some of those blues legends, but even more so in the artists who integrated blues into God's Honest Rock and Roll. Yada, 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 Rolling Stones. Yada, 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 Led Zeppelin. Yada, 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 Jack White. Um, when I say integrated, we could probably use the word exploited. Uh, you know, might be a, a safer way to say it. Um, you know, we could talk about Elvis Presley and the way that he took what was mostly a black tradition, uh, made it his own, you know, uh, and made the a lot of those things much more popular. We could talk about Eminem, how he did much the same. He's by far the uh, highest selling hip hop artist of all time, not even close. Uh, but anyway, aside from the point, uh, other artists that played the festival in the 60s were Judy Collins, Pete Seeger, Peter Paul and Mary, Johnny Cash, Gordon Lightfoot, Love and Spoonful, Chuck Berry, Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, Chambers Brothers, Janis Joplin with Big Brother and The Holding Company, Carl Perkins and The Tennessee Three, James Taylor, Van Morrison, Johnny Cash with June Carter at a later date, 
the Everly Brothers, uh, very diverse acts, uh, surely inspired cross-pollination in the creation of popular American music, but also introduced a variety of sounds to audiences with an increasing appetite for new and different kinds of music. The festival disbanded in 1970 and wouldn't come back for 15 years, but the run through the 60s was clearly uh, pretty important. I read a couple articles about the the top moments in the history of the festival, and there's a lot of niche cultural stuff, so kind of niche bands having niche moments. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll spare you some of that. Dylan's moment always comes up number one. He's that that thing in 1965 is like super associated with Iconic. the festival itself. Uh, but uh, on one of the lists, Middle Brother came up uh, when they played it in 2011. And um, the festival obviously means a lot to them. The Dawes Post makes it very clear. And Macaulay's a native of Rhode Island, as I think some of the other Deer Tick members are. Um, and he's often involved in varying capacities with the festival. So tiny little stupid Rhode Island town making super big waves in the way of popular American music. I uh, just thought that was uh, pretty interesting. Absolutely. And, and like I said, that, that Dylan moment is, is, you know, one of the iconic Dylan moments of even, you know, a, a, an incredible artist's life, you know, like you can't like how, how far into the uh you know the cliff notes version of bob dylan do you get before you mention that incident you know it's all it's got to be like five paragraphs in tops you know it's 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 been recreated in movies about him like it's it is it is one of those moments and it, and it happens in this stupid little rhode island festival you know where they they did folk music dylan's amazing we're gonna have to when we do the next one i'll be hard pressed to not do a dylan album of some kind the number of reinventions he had throughout the 60s alone is amazing. He just continued to not only reinvent himself, but with that kind of pivot where music was heading. And, um, you know, Dylan's divisive. People generally love or hate. It's, uh, it's, there's not a lot of middle ground on Dylan, but I think it's that, it's that thing I believe, for me. I believe what you meant to say is that uh, people either love him or are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my man. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's that's the thing no, is like, I think when you start appreciating or at least understanding what he meant during the 60s, you're like, whoa, I, it, all the music just sounds a little better after you realize like how important he was to the moment, to the culture. So that was I for me, that Even was definitely you a huge can't pivot. appreciate him as a singer. Uh, you should at least try to read his lyrics like they're po poetry. You know, it, I, I can yeah. I can understand if you cannot get past his uh, admittedly terrible singing, <laughs> you know, but at the very least, then just read him for what he is. And that's a poet. And frankly, like you said, when we do this next time, we should just do two different albums by Dylan, but have them be only like two years apart and then just see the the incredible contrast that he does in like such a short amount of time. Oh, baby, that'd be super fun. Bob Dylan, super episode. Yeah. So do you that was definitely a thing for me at a younger age. I was like, uh, you know, I like a certain band, but the, the vocals or his voice or her voice, I just can't do. Is that still like a thing for you? Because I feel like for me, that's eroded over time quite a bit. I've never had that problem. I have been okay. I have been fan of terrible singers from for years. You know, I was brought up on Dylan. I appreciated <laughs> Dylan since a young age. Okay. Um, I I will argue how the, the 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 merits of Hold Steady with you alongside of Zach. You know, I 
again, even one of my favorite indie indie rock bands is a band called Art Brute that is just even the, probably the worst singer of all. You know, he just does this awful talky Cockney accent that that is just impossible to get past sometimes, but somehow it, it works for that band in that moment. You know, it's I, it, bad singers do not bother me. I, I I can appreciate them for even being bad while while telling telling a good story or, or fitting within the band as a whole. I'm with that. That's where I'm at now. It took me longer though, for sure. And these, I mean, you mentioned Hold Steady and those are the two highest profile examples for me. Dylan uh, took some time. I got there. Hold Steady even. When Zach started bringing Hold Steady around, I was like, nah, I'm out on this. I I can't do this guy's voice. It's stupid. And uh, I was wrong. I was wrong on that. (laughs) I was very wrong. So uh, happy to admit it. No, you were right that it was stupid, but... (laughs) But it works. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely works. All right. So the next question is a pretty short one. Is this the artist's best album? I mean, it doesn't really apply to the artist or the album at hand. Uh, It's the only album that these three did together. So um, what I did do was just kind of list and we've we've glossed over this a little bit, but the three principles of the band Uh, I wanted to kind of lay out what their other bands kind of looked like. And I actually, it was kind of amazing, the symmetry of all the bands. So John Joseph McCauley, lead singer of Deer Tick, they get about 290,000 Spotify listens a month. Uh, They have eight records and they put out their first record in 2007. Taylor Goldsmith, lead singer of Dawes, uh, 780,000 Spotify listens. I was surprised by that number. Uh, Eight records, same. And then uh, their first one came out in 2009. Matt Vasquez, uh, lead singer of Delta Spirit, 500,000 Spotify listens a month. They have seven records and they started in 2007. So it's like all these bands are almost on the same track. It's kind of wild. Well, that's why it was kind of like almost magical in that moment because it was like these three bands that were bubbling up like right at the same time. You know, they had done their debut. um, And while they hadn't really made that like massive splash commercially and none of them really you know, realistically never would become, you know, any sort of massive stadium band or anything like that. But, you know, they were, they were still coming up. They were still, they were still just out there trying to make music and, 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 and just kind of reach the, the, the same place at the same time, you know, and, and, and were able to create this. Yeah, that's, that's well put, you know, they're uh, creatively in a lot of the same places, hadn't quite gotten to where they were going to reach as far as like the crest of the band probably made it easier for them to come together and make some stuff together. So as far as the custom question goes, uh, I have a question, but Dave, I'm going to take this in a, in a different direction. And, um, the question is, well, hang on. how many, I was going to go back a level and ask you, did you, did you get a chance uh, you know, obviously it was, it was the layup question because it's their only album. So, yeah. uh, it was very obvious to answer, but, did you get a chance to rank it amongst the uh, the, the total albums of their collective uh, other ventures? Oh, Dave. Oh, Davey, 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 Dave. I, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Uh, so I could not get myself to listen to all the other records because bottom line, I don't know Dawes at all. Uh, I've never listened to a Dawes record. Delta Spirit, I listened to their debut. Um, but... Uh, so the answer is no. I, I, I didn't get a chance to, to um, compare them against the, 
the patchwork of all the, the artists that were coming together to do this. However, you have been had been asking me a question starting around 2009, 2010, and you continue to ask me this question for 10 years or so. Uh, if you really think about how many times we saw each other over the course of the 2010s, it's probably pretty sad, frankly. I, I didn't live in the Detroit area for a long time, so... But whenever we'd get together, you would ask me, are you listening to Deer Tick? Have you listened to Deer Tick? And I would almost always be like, no, I haven't. And so we're a couple of potheads and, you know, maybe you'd forget that you asked me. I would forget that you had asked me. And then it would just be like this time loop of, hey, have you listened to Deer Tick? Hey, have you listened to Deer Tick? And Dave, I stand before you having listened to all the Deer Tick records in anticipation of this podcast and I would love to talk to you about them and my question was how many deer tick records would you rank above this or where might it rank amongst the deer tick records so let's start with that okay so uh, amongst the deer tick records born on flag day is definitely a better album um okay. divine providence is also probably a better album okay. um but that's probably where then I slot this in. You know, it's right about there. You know, they they there are others. I'm not a big fan of negativity from them. Um, it just yeah. felt like a very lazy album that they threw out um, when they were just trying to put something out for their record company. Um, they're they're following kind of triples of uh, mustard, mayonnaise, and uh, ketchup albums, as uh, they're affectionately known. All their self-titled ones. Um, oh, yeah. Those have a lot of good songs, and I almost wish they had taken those three albums and made like maybe one album out of it because there's, you know, probably eh, maybe a double album's worth of good songs, but they stretch it out to three albums, you know, right at the same time. So I'll, I'll put all of those below it as well. So I'll rank this roughly about third place behind uh, behind Born on Flag Day and, and Negativity. Oh, and behind War Elephant too. War Elephant's better. <laughs> I'm with that. And I actually I was I was waiting to possibly correct you on this, but War War Elephant is their debut, is it not? It is, but it was uh it, it was only released as a uh like a you know, selling it out of the back of uh, John McCauley's van when he was Got it. opening for people. Uh then they sign a a uh, deal with I think Partisan Records is who they're with. Uh, don't quote me on yep. that one, but I think so that's then right. they signed the deal with the record company. They put out Born on Flag Day, and then as part of that, they they re-released War Elephant after that. Got it. Okay, I that that makes sense. So yeah, War Elephant was where I started. I went through chronologically over the last uh, week or so. Um, really enjoy War, War Elephant. I think I saved. So I made a playlist of Deer Tick songs. Uh, ended up being thirty nine songs, two and a half hours long. Deer Tick playlist. War Elephant, I really liked. I saved eight, eight of the 14 songs that were on there. I think Not So Dense was, was maybe my favorite song. Born on Flag Day, Ooh, 2009. I, I mean, Mange is incredible. So is Mange, Mange is Black Dirt Sessions, no? Oh, shit. That, that, is, so, that is Black Dirt Sessions. And that's the album that you haven't mentioned yet, and to me is like the motherfucker of their albums like that one really fucked with me so uh born on flag staying chronological born on flag day 2009 i saved five of the 10 songs amazing album um when i when becca and i moved from orlando to utah we drove out there and i remember i saved the first two 
deer tick albums and listen to them. And I remember driving through the Tennessee mountains, listening to born on flag day and Smith Hill was just, just fucking with me and just like tears down my face, you know, just the first time I'd ever heard it. It was just like an incredible experience. So, um, I really love that album. That's really good. But then, yeah, Black Dirt Sessions, 2010. Zach Rattay, shouts to to the man, uh, got me this on vinyl uh, many years ago. And I listened to it, uh, but never quite sunk in. But I listened to it a couple times this time around. And this album's just like emotional carnage uh, mixed with, with just like sonic beauty like it's it's like to me it feels like the best version of them um which it doesn't sound like it's your favorite for them but for me like by far my favorite oh it's 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 an incredible album it's it's uh it's definitely more of a raw album to it all because it was shit we're going on such a tangent on this this should have been all of our our fun facts because i had all kinds of fun facts on this i know like you know (laughs) This this was an album that that you know Deer Tick kind of started out as just John McCauley you know and a guitar and, and just going out and touring and doing his best and calling himself a band even though he was a one man show kind of doing this all up there and like I said he was he was selling things out of the back of his van um, it, Black Dirt Sessions were even more so on this front where he was just you know recording stuff he was putting things on on tapes and and selling it out of the van. Um, and they were just these raw songs that really that, that were just him singing with his, his guitar. And then again, he he slowly started to form his band. And and that's when they kind of went back and re-recorded all these songs and called them okay. Black Dirt Sessions. Um, OK, you know, so that's where you get these that that raw feeling to it all. But then it's got that that warm, full backing band to it all, too, which is just just an incredible vibe to it all. And I. Uh, we're going to now replace the have you listened to deer tick with have you watched uh, straight into a storm, which is this documentary that, uh, w- that came out um, probably, it, it came out probably about uh, four, four years ago or so. It was right around the time that like, you know, deer tick was celebrating their, uh, their 10 year anniversary of, of a lot okay. of this, you know, their record deal and all that type of stuff. Um, but it's like this archival footage documentary that they had of, of their come up where, where, it t- you know, it shows all these early days and the, the, you know, the, 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 the scenes that frankly, that we were part of, you know, the, the, nice. the standing outside a bar, smoking a cigarette, talking with the opening act and stuff like that. Like we, this is all the stuff that we lived a hundred times over. And it's, it's just this incredible vibe of a, of a movie that you definitely need to watch. Cause it'll take you right back to our heyday. I will watch that for sure. I am so glad that we're we're finally having the deer tick conversation that you've been wanting to have with me for years and years. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, keep going chronologically. I will speed through the the last album as you alluded to. Some of the ones towards the end just aren't aren't quite worth the time. But Divine Providence 2011, incredible. Like just like a really 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 good album. It felt like a little more. Um, manic to me in a way there's like a lot of different kinds of songs um but i could be convinced that this is also their best so to me that run right it there definitely has single-handedly their best song which is clowning around love that song yeah love that the song most, the most romantic song ever written about a, a serial killer uh, john wayne gacy oh wow okay i didn't know that I think you've told me that before, though. I'm remembering some 
hazy night that you've told me this anecdote. But yes, okay. In, I believe it was in Chicago when I was like, we're going to get fucking murdered by John Wayne Gacy out here. <laughs> okay. And then we started talking about this. this yes. Is how okay. Agents usually roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, dude, so War Elephant, Born on Flag Day, Black Dirt Sessions, Divine Providence. And to me, like, that's that's like the run. And, and that's not uncommon for a rock band. Uh, and, and frankly, that's pretty good. Like, some of the, the, you know the bands that we love the most uh it's only like a two or three album run where it's like really really great stuff you know um after that you get negativity uh, i only say four of the 12 songs none of them like really stuck with me uh the the double album it's so maybe i'm wrong in this concept here but is the the part one is like acoustic and then the part two is like electric kind of is that the deal yep yeah okay. they broke it up that way so yeah, the first one was uh, was all their acoustic stuff. The second one was all their electric stuff. Got it. Okay. Which On the again, acoustic, you know, they I feel like they should have just uh, cut that in half, combined it to one album. Um, yeah. The one that they kind of followed that up with the the cutting room floor B side type stuff, mayonnaise. Is actually, frankly, I think that's almost a stronger album than than those that that double album. I actually agree. I agree. And. Uh... Yeah, so uh, me and my man on the first one was good. There's a couple songs I like the the electric one better. I, I tend to like when they're at uh, a broader, bigger, louder, faster sound. That those are the moments I tend to like them more. That that's probably universal for me when it comes to bands. Um, it's harder for me generally it's, to get into the slower songs. It's also funny that uh, we've also named like all the songs that the drummer sings on too with. Uh, clowning okay. around and me and my man and all that like it, when the drummer starts to star in it you know it's a good song and uh, <laughs> also also fun fact uh, coming out of the pandemic the first concert uh, i was able to make it to was a deer tick concert and nice. uh, they sang me and my man and uh, uh, unfortunately the drummer's dog that the song is all about uh, had died the week before this concert. So he was like Yikes. super emotional about this song. And it was, uh, it was still a lot of fun. I, uh, I was a little in inebriated and, and, you know, we <laughs> shouting positive dog vibes, I guess, or trying to shout positive dog vibes. <laughs> I appreciate Probably that anecdote. Across like that. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure the meaning of the song or the origin of the song. So I appreciate the, clarification yeah i liked mayonnaise too and and that's essentially their final studio album here one of the songs that really stood out and it's a cover of a band that i know you and i both love is the velvet underground so the pale blue eyes cover uh, i thought was like a really really great cover it is it is an excellent one of those and uh uh i don't you know, I don't even know if we necessarily touched on this, but the, you know, Portland on uh, the Middle Brother album being a replacement yeah. cover and uh, the replacements, which is, uh, you know, uh, one of those bands that uh, at least personally, I feel like I never gave the, the proper um, appreciation to. But it's always like that band that is your favorite band's favorite band. Dude, love it. I, I actually Portland. On Middle Brother, I'll be honest, did not do much for me. I did not know it was a replacements cover. I like the replacements. I bought some replacements vinyl. I feel like they're in kind of the unheralded like television like zone, you know, like one of those bands that like really like musicians, musician kind of uh, situation. Um, so, yeah, yep. I'll, I'll have to re-listen to that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Dave, that's the... 
the deer tick conversation that we've been trying to have, or you've been trying to have with me for years and years and years. And I, I finally, I finally came clean, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were able to see the light. Now, now we just <laughs> got to have that time when, uh, when we start discussing, cause, uh, uh, you know, it's funny because I was talking with Zach uh, a, a little while ago about like, you know, the closest you could get to Nirvana nowadays. And uh, I, I feel like my official answer was I wish I had been aware of what Nirvana was playing leading up to their introduction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because they uh, Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic, the the two surviving members of uh, of Nirvana, decided they were going to go and play around small clubs in the Cleveland area and the couple of nights leading up to their induction uh, using John McCauley as a stand-in for, for uh, uh, Kurt Cobain, which again, if you, if you know John McCauley, he's one of the few guys nowadays that can do that growl, that hiss, that, that bark that, that Kurt Cobain is famous for. And, and Nirvana is definitely one of those bands that Deer Tick has always cited as one of their major influences to the point where, you know, even back that back in this 2011 when they were doing stuff, you know, again with this album, they would occasionally just start touring the Rhode Island area, uh, playing uh, shows as Deervana, and all they would do were Nirvana what? covers throughout the entire show. <laughs> oh my God, that's incredible! Wow, dude, uh, you're you're an in utero guy, right? That's your favorite Nirvana. It's got to be Nevermind. I mean, let's be honest. It's still commercially the best, but it's also probably their best album. Let's be honest with ourselves. <laughs> Bro, that's exactly where I was going to go. I, I'm so happy to hear you say that. I I, I feel like In Utero is kind of the, uh, you know, like the like the sneaky good answer to the question. But Nevermind is just the no-brainer. I, th- I think it, you know, it's bigger and broader. Sometimes it sounds like a fucking Van Halen record or whatever. But it's just it's just obvious. It, and it still has the weird moments, it, you know, something in the way. Like, it's all there. In Utero is the let it be to never mind Sgt. Pepper. Like, it's, it's still oh. just this incredible album in its own right. But, I mean, on any other band, it would be considered their greatest work. But because of the breadth of incredible music that Nirvana put out, it's still just second place. I love it when you talk Beatles to me. What's What's your favorite Beatles, then? Favorite Beatles is, I want to say Let It Be, but. Wow, but that that say, is a monstrous take. Pepper. Okay, okay. Yeah, I actually couldn't remember where you fall on the Beatles. You're, you're, super, you're high, high on the Beatles, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. They're like okay. <laughs> the main musical influences on it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no question about it. Yeah, I, I probably my favorite like catalog of music. For some reason, I I have like these like holes in my brain. There's certain bands like you don't like Led Zeppelin, right? That's that's one that you're out on. No, exactly. But it's and it's not necessarily anything against Led Zeppelin in itself. But I hate everything that has spun off of the led zeppelin genre you know the the bands that cite Uh led zeppelin as their major influences are never the bands that i'm like yes they rock (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm gonna jump ahead on one then how do you feel about greta van fleet uh kind of in the same vein like they're they're fine but like it's 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 a it's a band trying to sound like led zeppelin which again cool if that's what you want to do but it's not my cup of tea (laughs) I think we were in the same place. Like all signs point toward 
me enjoying this band. I think they're from Muskegon, right? I think, well, I, I definitely know that every time I've been to Frankenmuth, it is just nothing but people trying to sell you Greta Van Fleet to, like merchandise. And it's like, guys, I, I don't I don't care. I just came here for some chicken dinner and some outlet shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Please leave me alone. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat, man. Um, it's like it's retro rock. It's it's the kids are really interesting. Like hearing them interviewed, like they have this deep knowledge of the blues and R and B and and early rock and roots rock, and they are clearly like living art artifacts of like you know that piece of rock that like really matters to people. And I appreciate that. But as far as the the records go, like the first one. I really feel that way, but I almost gained some appreciation for them on the second record because they almost like doubled down. Like it was like even more performative and even more theatrical. And like, I, so I, I kind of appreciated that. See, no, see, I went the exact opposite way. I get okay. it more pissed me <laughs> off because every interview they did back when they were coming up with that second album, they're like, we just don't like it when people compare us to Led Zeppelin. It's like, well, then guys don't dress exactly yeah. like them and don't sound exactly <laughs> like them and people won't compare you to them. Like, it's, it's like, uh, you know, like it, it, if I came in like walking with no pants on, it's like, guys, quick staring at my cock. It's like, well, then put on some goddamn pants, man. Like, I, what do you want me to do? <laughs> exactly right. All right, man. Uh, do you want to move into the, the Alt-J joint here? All right. So, Danny, up next is your selection. You went with The Dream, which is the fourth album of four albums by Alt-J. And you want to talk some synergy? We're going to start with some synergy right off the bat. bat eh, right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> Do you know what happens or what, what Alt-J actually stands for? Oh, I don't. I, I know that they, they use that triangle symbol as like a, as like a stand-in for their name, but n not beyond yep. that. Okay, so if you hit Alt-J on your computer, that's what shows up. That's a Delta, and we just talked about a band with Delta Spirit. That's what I call synergy. Synergy. Connections. Beautiful. Love it. <laughs> so this album was produced by Charlie Andrew and was released on February 11th of 2022. So, Danny, how does sure this was. album make you feel? This album makes me feel full. Uh, Alt-J's music drips with the complexity and randomness of humanity, but all four of their albums now are also a blast to listen to. Uh, this album makes me feel satisfied. Uh, it appeals to my desire to detach from kind of stocky rock acts and engage with more unique contributions to what's left of the rock landscape. Uh, this album makes me feel connected. <clears throat> They have four albums now. They've been making, they've been putting out records for 10 years. Um, and it's the rare thing. And, and I'm sure to some degree you have this with certain bands, maybe with, with Deer Tick, frankly. But now you have this body of data where you can remember when all of a band's different albums came out. And you can piece together what you were doing in your life at all these different moments. And that gives this added layer of connection uh, to to this band. So when An Awesome Wave came out in 2012, I'm in Chicago. My boss at the time actually mentioned the band to me and I hammered this album just uh, on my way to work, home from work, just listening to it all the time. Uh, when This Is All Yours came out in 2014, 
this one's really interesting. September, it came out September 22nd, 2014. And that is how many days before your wedding? Like, it was like uh, that two weeks or something? Five? Yeah, <laughs> roughly two weeks. Yeah, okay. So um, September September 2014 is one of the significant, more significant months in my entire life. Uh, that was when I went to Spain. I just fucked off from Chicago, quit my job, and went to Spain for a month, uh, just in time I, to I come back. That. that was that was such a bold move. <laughs> <laughs> totally a bold move. Uh, but yeah, I came back, and I remember uh, being in Chicago and walking around and listening to this album. Uh, being in a pretty clear headspace. Uh, I, I kind of a weird connection here is that when we went and saw them, it was at the very tail end of when they were touring, touring this album, and it was one year to the day after they released this album. So it was we saw them on September 22nd, 2015 at Meadowbrook. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And then uh, fast forward a few years, they released Relaxer in June 2017. And actually this one... Uh, got past me because uh, when I really dug into this album, it wasn't until actually like April 2018. So I think they put this album out and I just like was not like was unaware of it for 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 a long time. But the significance here is that I uh, picked it up right as right before I went to Japan and I did this this like solo Japan trip and was walking around Tokyo uh, listening to this album and there's like a deeper level to that because uh, Relaxer has all of these specific Eastern influences uh, the artwork for the album is from the 1998 PlayStation video game LSD dream emulator by Japanese artist Osamu Satu um, uh, when they released the album and it's no longer available but they created a playable game on their website with 3WW the lead single on it as the as the backing music for it um, unfortunately no longer available. And I looked, I looked long and hard. Um, but there's a lot of sonic influences out the album throughout the album, uh, with Eastern notes. There's a, a Yanquin, which is a Chinese dulcifer instrument that's used on a couple tracks. I told myself I wasn't going to fall down this rabbit hole, but here we are with Chinese dulcifers. Um, and then, uh, with the dream, Listen, I, I, <laughs> I am just very proud to be on the first podcast in the history of podcasts to be mentioning Chinese dulcifers. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Chinese dulcifer podcast. Yeah. And then uh, The Dream, February 2022. Uh, I not only get to absorb it into this new life that Becca and I are crafting in Alaska, but I get to share this album with you and we get to really dig into it and document it. So uh, this album makes me feel super connected. And then the last bit I had is that uh, this album, um, as with all of their albums, I always feel pleasantly surprised, which is kind of unique, but they achieve something where I usually appreciate, um, or, I'm sorry, it's something that I usually appreciate with uh, film projects, which is basically when they present a release, I know I'm going to like it, but I'm not sure uh, which port we'll be departing from or where we'll be arriving at. Shows that I'm uh, thinking about in this vein are like Louie's show. I don't know if you ever watched Louie, uh, the show Atlanta on FX as well, and then Black Mirror. It's like, I love these shows. I know I'm going to like that, but when I when, but when I tune into them, I'm not quite sure where we're going. I, I'm not quite sure what the episode's going to be like. And those are kind of my favorite 
um, artistic ventures now. So Alte definitely falls into that category for me. So a lot of shit there. Uh, what what does this album feel like to you, or how does this album make you feel? Well, for me, it's it's definitely more of a, a relaxed feeling to it all. Like it's definitely one of those. You know, we talked earlier about those albums that you vibe to. Um, I feel like again, it's it's very very appropriately named because it almost puts you like in this dream state at certain times. You know, they mm. they're very good at utilizing um sound effects throughout this album you know like uh you know we'll get to it you know they've got you know recordings of people talking in the background or you know the sounds of like pop cans opening on the first track of bane you know there there are these sound these sounds that really you know like eminem is very very famously using those types of sound effects within his songs and it's the same sort of it gets you in that moment it gets you in that mindset uh more so than you can get just from from the music and the lyrics that might be going on um, so, you know, it, 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 it is, it, it almost puts you in that weird dream state to even in the sense of, um, at times they have the most weird concepts that go on with it. So, you know, like that, the, uh, I mentioned the first track Bane, I, I love that track for the simple fact that it seems like a musical Mad Lib, you know, it seems like Alt J was, you know, sitting around their local pub, uh, throwing back beers, getting really drunk, playing a game of Mad Libs. And they're like, okay, you're going to play uh alt, you're gonna do a song like alt j is doing uh pretending to be and i mean this in the most positive sense possible but they're gonna play like imagine dragons and they're gonna do a song about coca-cola and then they just got drunk and wrote this song and for some reason they're like you know what that actually sounds pretty good let's put it on the album you know it, it worked out uh, uh you sure you don't want to change the subject maybe make it about something more serious than coca-cola nah let's let's leave it let's leave it let's keep it rolling you know <laughs> Totally true. Yeah, they're able to source a lot of different stuff. And that's a great literal answer to the question. It is a it is a more chill album. It's a great uh, headphones album, a great kind of solo listening album. All of their music is great high music. Great high music. Um, yeah, very, very chill vibes on the record, for sure. So... What would you call the most interesting instrument on this album? So I pre-ordered the vinyl for this one, uh, which is rare for me. I, there's very few albums I've ever done that with. As I'm thinking about it, this might actually be the first. I'm not a huge collector. I have a, I have, Beck and I have a decent little collection. Nothing like you and Zach. Uh, yeah, it's this really pretty white vinyl. Uh, the lyrics with small thumbnail pictures of the three members. Um, thank yous as a band collectively, and then for the individual members, and then musical and production credits. So you've got cello, double bass, violin, a crumb horn. No idea what a crumb horn is. Uh, trombone, bassoon, spoken word, backing vocal, and sound effect credits. So a lot of different things coming in here. Uh, the, I, I looked on Wikipedia too outside of the liner notes and it's a deeper wikipedia personnel page than i think i've ever seen on any album i've researched for music friends so just so many different sonic pieces being uh pushed together here the two and maybe three that really stand out for me uh the organ anytime the organ appears on this record it, it really 
really is impactful. On Hard Drive Gold, it's great. On The Actor, it's fucking incredible. Um, guitar. So Joe Newman, uh, one of the three principals, also plays the guitar, does most of the singing, but there was at, at least a few different things written where he was talking about using the hi hiatus for the band as a way to become a better guitar player. And the first notes of the album on Bane, with the exception, of course, of the, the Coca-Cola soundbite, uh, is you get that guitar plucking that's super potent and really precise. And there's a lot of different guitar sounds on this album versus some of their other ones. Like on the last track of the album, there's like a kind of Delta bluesy riff, which is not something that they're uh, generally known for. So guitar, um, and then in a non-literal sense, I thought that the transparency as an instrument on this album was really interesting. Their music generally, they use a lot of the kind of deliberate obliqueness or like deliberate kind of, um, you know, uh, weirdness to mask or veil a lot of like what the song subjects are about. But there's a couple songs on this album that are like fucking cutting and like like really honest. Um, Get Better specifically, uh, which is seemingly mostly about some really honest kind of COVID era stuff. Uh, the line, I still pretend you're only out of sight in another room smiling at your phone like the first time i listened to that it was it was just so cutting and, and and it was just a sensation i'm not necessarily used to when listening to their music and uh there's a sound bite in that well, song yeah go ahead i was gonna say even beyond because I'll, I'll find a better answer for it but you know i it that that get better is such an incredible song on this album yes. in the sense that even the progression of that that chorus where you know the first time they do the chorus you know it's it's get better i know you will you know that's that's how you get you know someone goes into the hospital you're like all right get better i know you're gonna get better like hey you know here's your card here's your balloon and your teddy bear you know get better we'll we'll see you soon and then you know things get a little bit worse and then it's get better you know i hope you will you know it turns it turns from assumption to hope you know and now it's like all right i hope you get better like please get better come on let's do it and then it gets worse and worse. And then, and then as you were about to say, you know, they've got that sound bite of, of, of whoever it was that, that has finally, you know, passed on and it's, it's them saying, get better. And then it changes to, I know I will, you know, and it's, yeah. it's that, that weird transition of, you know, I went from assuming you were going to get better to hoping to you're getting it going to get better to now. I've got to find a way to get better because, you know, you, you've gone to a better place and now I've got to somehow deal with that fact. Oh, so concise. Well put. Uh, yeah, that, that song really fucked with me. Every time I hear him say that I still pretend line, I want to just go give my wife a hug and just like make sure she's okay. Like it, it's like it's like really, really um, cutting. And then as, a, as an added layer it's to that. Very, uh... It's a very true line as well, because, you know, if, if, if anytime you ever had that kind of loss of someone that that's clo that close to you, it's sometimes your brain still even just goes on that autopilot of like, oh, that person's going to come home here shortly. And it's like, oh, crap. No, they're not like it, it. You almost trick yourself into thinking they're still around and to, to cope. And it's a it's a very bizarre feeling at times. Yeah, I'd say dating back across their albums. 
they they do this. They do this thing that we're talking about right now, which is um, creating like these specific emotions. But it's it's more through the instrumentation. It's not as often through lyrics like this. So that that really stunned me in the moment. And just the last thing I was going to say is that the soundbite on Get Better, where the female voice is saying Get Better, I thought it when I first listened to this album, which I, again, I catered a very specific moment to listen to this, I could have sworn she was saying Rebecca. And so I'm listening to this, this, this line that's freaking me out. And I'm texting Becca. I was like, you okay? You know? And I thought it was saying Rebecca. I was like, what, what the fuck is happening here? Like what? So, uh, that fucked me up, but that is not telling me. Yeah. That is not in fact what was happening, but it, it was a, a very visceral moment. Uh, the song, definitely stuck with me uh if put to it i would say that uh probably the organ the organ just like at least sonically just like really fucked with me on this uh what about you for the instrument does one stand apart well, from I, the others i'm really glad you didn't use my answer and i i might have been cheating slightly but you already mentioned spoken word as as being an instrument so i feel like this counts Um, (laughs) because for for almost all of these uh answers i gave myself backup answers just in case but this is one that i just couldn't get away from any other answer other than the opera singer on philadelphia like oh this this hilariously (laughs) awesome like song about some sort of murder going down and then out of nowhere there's just this opera singer that belts out philadelphia philadelphia like it is hilarious and awesome all at the same time Dude, so she's saying she's actually saying Philadelphia. I, di- I didn't know that. I I feel like that's what she's saying in that moment, isn't she saying like Philadelphia? <laughs> that would make sense. That would make all the sense in the world. I I they it's a refrain throughout the song, and they almost tease it throughout the song. There's moments where you think you're going to get it and you don't, and then they have other moments where it's slowed down. It's that's incredible. Like I absolutely love that song. It's on my list of. Favorite songs for sure. What an amazing call. I have that written down in the song part, but as the instrument, that's that's a great call. Well, it's it, again, it's like this because again, I, I you know when I was talking about Wilco earlier, you know there are the, there are those bands that that seep into the walls and and never do anything, and you get to the other side of the album and you didn't know you listened to it, and and I feel like the genre that Alt J very much tries to cater to can can fall into those same sort of pitfalls at times but the way that they kind of break themselves out of it were are with things like that where they just you know that they'll lull you into that 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 dreamlight trance and where you get really into it or you get into your own thoughts and then they break you out by doing an opera singer out of nowhere you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then the instrumentation within that song is kind of like a more classical instrumentation a lot of strings it sounds like victorian in a way it's so interesting like there's just so few artists to me that are that are really making music and making sounds like that you know so what is your favorite song on the album so bane rips i agree incredibly potent gripping first track 
very complex, kind of like what you what on the thread of what you were saying. You've got bagpipes in the song. You've got hip hop drums for a stretch, and it all works together somehow. Uh, Hard Drive Gold is kind of a perfect example of their ability to be weird, but to generate a pop lick that is like really good and enjoyable. The organ on that is amazing. Uh, the actor is my favorite song on this album. <laughs> the actor sounds like cocaine. It actually sounds <laughs> like cocaine. Uh, it's uh, it's that floaty, wobbly, sparkly organ in the background that's just kind of like like dancing around all of the other instruments uh partner with the repeating refrain of cocaine is just incredible i have no idea where i am trying to like break down what that song is about but i did i wrote a note i said uh 1983 would be proud of this song and then i was researching the song and apparently it's about john belushi's death uh, as as an o OD at the Chateau Marmont in L.A. in 1982. So I was not too far off, um, but incredible. I just that song is so much fun to listen to. I'm, I'm so glad you had that as your answer, because like, again, like I was I, like throughout all of these, I was putting down answers and I'm like, I never got a chance to talk about the actor, which is like the, like just a, 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 a an incredible song as well. Like you said, like it's. It, it like the, <laughs> like you said it sounds like cocaine like it puts you in that mindset of cocaine of like it, and it's this like idea that you think you're doing the right thing that you're just helping a buddy out and then like oh crap everything went sideways and now he's dead like oh what am i gonna do about this <laughs> yeah yeah uh i had philadelphia down too did you did you um did you have any other uh songs that really stood out well, again, it was, you know, it was get better was was off the top of that. Like it was one of those ones that just like, you know, it was all the heart and soul that that you could feel just pouring out of him and his guitar in that moment. Um, yeah. The actor is obviously like a, a, an awesome one on that same front. And I was looking for excuses to talk about it. And the same thing with Bane, like, I, I you know, Bane is is this, you know, epic like drum, yeah. you know, almost like a rolling thunder that comes out, out, yeah. out the top of it all. And then uh, just, again, the, the, the absurdity of having it all be just about Coca-Cola, you know, but <laughs> you know, uh, if, if I had to give, you know, I, I said I would give a, a better answer uh, later on by stealing all the get better when we were talking about it earlier, which was originally my answer, but my backup answer for this was hard drive gold for the simple fact that like, you know, one of the things that when we were going into you know, the pandemic and, and all that stuff is I was lauding like, you know, why, why is there not like any of these great bands talking about the, the problems of today or the issues of today, you know, like for sure, where, where have all the band, where have rage against the machine left us? And why are there no <laughs> bands that are trying to carry on their torch of like social commentary? And, and if there's yeah. anything that even kindly kind of started to approach it, it would be hard drive gold where they talk about like, Oh yeah, bros, you are all going to get rich off cryptocurrency and, and, and your hard drive except it's not real and and now we've seen it in the past couple of weeks you you were building off a, an empire of lies you know and and anybody could have seen this coming with a mile away except for all the rubes that bought into it you know and and it's this whole this awesome song that alt j was able to turn into you know into the this creative outlet on it all and, and at least like point out the absurdity of it you know and I, and I feel like that that social commentary is missing nowadays from a lot of bands and the song licks Yes, that too. 
you know, like like uh, being able to hit both of those notes is is really awesome. Yeah, I didn't I didn't gather that until I started doing the research over the last couple of days about the meaning of the song, and for them to come out and make such a stance on it is is pretty incredible. And yeah, as far as the COVID stuff goes, like this has to be in the conversation of like some of the best kind of COVID era art, you know, um, especially when you talk about what they're trying to do on Get Better. Um, it really sources a lot of the different things we were feeling and um, has to at least be in the conversation for sure. I mean, I mean, frankly, I would I would term the COVID era art to be downright poor. You know, I mean, really, what right. are the, the albums that you have seen come out in the past you know, two years that have really been like, oh my God, that is incredible. It's, it's frankly, my list is it this and, you know, run the jewels, you know, RTJ four and, and it starts to get weak after about those two albums of, of did bands you, that have put stuff out. I'm going to step on one of my later questions, but did you fuck with the new arcade fire? I did not listen to that one yet. I, I actually think I missed it. They came out with a new one. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the one of the better bands, one of the more interesting bands that we have for sure. And they're like their <clears throat> imprint on talking about the moment is like almost on the nose. Like the, I think the first song of the of the album is a, the age of anxiety. And they just like are talking specifically about it and they're not wrong. Um, so I think I think that some of the stuff they're talking about on there is is pretty on point. And the albums, I would say good to very good, uh, not among their best i wouldn't think but there's a couple tracks that are that are really really awesome um definitely worthy of listening to what's your favorite of theirs are you a big fan of theirs or, or kind of me in the middle of the road i i did i definitely dig arcade fire um yeah you know obviously they i have trailed off on them just because of the sheer amount of of music they have put out over the years like it's almost tough to keep up with them um, because there was a time that they were just putting out albums like crazy and um, right around Neon Bible is uh, uh, oh shit I'm even confusing Neon Bible was uh, Kings of Leon um, they put out um, Neon Bible's uh, Arcade Fire and they don't have as many albums as you think oh, this is only their this is only their sixth album which is kind of really wild. yeah that is um, incredible because it really felt like every other every year they were putting out something you know big and expansive and you know, with them, every song seems to be like nine minutes long. and <laughs> Yeah, that's that's kind of their thing. I, I would say they probably only have one bad album. It was the one that preceded this one. And I, I can't remember what it's called. All, all Things All at Once or Everything All at Once or some, something like that. I can't remember. But it wasn't very good. Um, I would say five out of six are like good to great, if not capital G great, you know. So what about uh, what about an interesting insight about the album's production or story for this one? So this band feels sometimes like Kirkland brand Radiohead. How do you feel about Radiohead before I even jump into this? Where do you stand on them? I love Radiohead. I consider Radiohead to be probably top 10 artist of all time. Wow. Okay. Awesome. I, I'm not quite there, but I'm not too far away. I, I, I love Radiohead too. Uh, so depending on how you feel about their connection or lineage to Radiohead, probably spells out uh, some of how you feel about Alt-J. Um, any connection, for some reason, is enough uh, to shade Alt-J 
with some publications. So Pitchfork is certainly that way. Uh, Alte is not a super critically well-reviewed band, but Pitchfork like totally cuts their legs out. Like an awesome wave got a 4.8. Um, and during the review, they mentioned Radiohead four times. This is all yours got a four, and they mentioned Radiohead three times. Relaxer, 4.5. They mentioned Radiohead zero times, which felt deliberate. And then the dream they didn't even review, which is just like incredible. So I, you know, it is what it is. Didn't have the time. Yeah, Pitchfork, like I love and I hate, and it just like feels like sometimes they get these things wrong. Uh, Kings of Leon, they're famously just like super rough on, like everything's below like a four or a five. Uh, which is really weird to me because it feels like Kings of Leon is a pretty unique moment in rock, you know? Well, I mean, there there was always the inside joke or the inside uh, thought that everything Pitchfork reviewed would be like, you know, just they, they, they would just shit on it. And it was true. And and that's where I kind of I, I got away from Pitchfork, you know, probably in the, you know, early aughts, you know, where it was, you know, oh, you, you know, it was one of those, you know, just inescapable review processes of our, of our youth, you know, what did Pitchfork rate it? Um, right. But then I started realizing, like, albums that I just thought were incredible, they just shit on like crazy. So it's like, all right, well, you, obviously, you guys are, are just, you know, holding this to some sort of other standard that does not jive with what I'm doing, you know, they would they would give you know, like you said, the, these albums, four points and 4.5s throughout all of it. And then, you know, Bruce Springsteen would sit there and fart in a microphone for an hour and a half and they'd give it 10 stars. You know, it's like, yeah, sorry, that's guys, the Rolling you, Stone you, you, thing. You don't speak for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm with that. I, I, I like that they have a, a deep base and like a deep body of information. That's that's basically why I like them. It's like there's con- there's some context, you know, uh, they they have so many reviews that there's like there's at least some credibility to a ranking system. You know, maybe them and Rolling Stone have like the biggest kind of base of this stuff, right? Well, except they couldn't even bring the time to review this album, though. For, <laughs> I know. They, they clearly <laughs> clearly hate Alche. And I have a theory, and I went down a bit of a rabbit hole, and it'll I'll make the, I'll draw the connection kind of towards the end here. But basically, are you familiar with the Mercury Music Prize? I am not. So this is an annual music prize awarded to the best album released in the United Kingdom by a British or Irish act. Um, so if if it's a group, it has to be uh, at least 50% British or Irish, if not more. Uh, and this the, the inaugural year for this award was 1992. So I, I went on this rabbit hole so today. So it's just, just U2, 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 U2. <laughs> Bro. It's not it's not what you think. And I've got the whole list here if, if you want to go through it at some point. But um, so they pick this independent panel of musicians, music presenters, music producers, journalists, festival organizers, and then they select 12 albums to be shortlisted and then they're voted on and then there's a winner. So PJ Harvey is the only artist to have won it twice um, in 2001 and 2011, I think. In 2001, it was like uh, Stories of the Sea, Story of the City, something like that. I've listened to it before. And then in 2011, it was Let England Shake. Do you fuck with her at all, PJ Harvey? Not really, no. That That is one that I, that I feel like is a musical blind spot for me. Dude, her run through the 90s, for the most part, is pretty fucking sick. It's like, it's like 
like female grunge rock, uh, but but there's just like a little bit extra there. There's a couple albums that are really really good. She's she's worth the time. Um, but well, yeah, she's Alex, another one of those you know artists artists type. You know, when anytime uh, we talk to, talk to a, yeah. a newer artist and they talk about their influences, like PJ Harvey always seems to come up. And she's clearly like a British treasure, right? She's they like honor her in like some kind of special way, and this is a emblem to that but uh alex turner of the arctic monkeys and uh last shadow puppets has five nominations one win for the 2006 arctic monkeys whatever people say i am that's what i'm not which uh i i don't know if that album got into you as much as it did zach and i but (laughs) dude dude i'll be frank i was almost disappointed in myself for not picking that album for these discussions because yeah if you want to tell me about a moment in time that will bring me back to that exact moment it is the day that that album came out and i forget which one of us had actually purchased the album but one of us had purchased the album brought it brought it to his house he was having a party that night we opened yes. it up and the CD is that ashtray, you know, again, that ashtray yes. that we've all seen at a party a thousand times with a million cigarette butts and, and beer hanging out at the bottom. And we put it on and, and, and it just hit, the, it was this wall of sound that all hit us. And I think, you know, at the end of it all, like, I don't think any of us stopped staring at the stereo, the, the last song plays. And then we just kind of look at each other, like, like play it again, man. Like, let's do that again. Like that was fucking incredible. Like, that was one of those time and place type albums that I feel like things just stood still and you had to stop and listen to this this art that was going on in front of you. I'm so glad you have uh, such a visceral uh, memory of that album because I have the exact same memory. Partying in Zach's basement, listening to that album a thousand times. That's one of the 20 best rock albums of the of the century so far. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain. Um, and I, I really like... I, I, I wouldn't even say that I really like Arctic Monkeys. I really love that album. I feel like they never they never hit that high again, right? Well, they they I feel like their last album kind of kind of came close. Um, really? Definitely. Okay. They, it's never going to have that same power. It's never going to have that same raw energy. But I feel like you know they've done their best to kind of evolve their sound a little bit or or try new things. And now they're kind of doing more of that. Um, um, you know, uh, rockabilly type esque swing type music to it all. You okay. know, and, it, and it's a tough kind of way to describe it because it's really not that. But you know, it's almost like you know, early on they were very much the the you know the British punk sound that was indie punk that was kind of going on back then. Um, but they've definitely evolved their so- sound over the years, and I feel like they're they're again kind of finding a, a second wave in some of this. Interesting. I, I've mostly let them go. I think I, I was zoomed in for like the first three or four records and then I've kind of let them go. But I would say that that record, that 2006 record, man, it could have it could have come out in any era. Like if that album had come out in the 80s, would you be surprised? 70s, like 90s? Like it, so- it sounds like it just like crawled out of a, the desert and just like appeared somewhere, you know? Well, and it's and it's like this it's the this angst and and feeling that every 17 every 17 to 21 year old kid has felt their entire life 
And they just perfectly mm. summed up exactly how all of those feelings are, whether, you know, and, it, and it's that full gambit, you know, whether you're 17 and you really can't get into the parties yet, but you really want to. So you do everything to kind of fake your way in, you know, or or you kind of become the guy that gets into the parties. But then you look down upon everyone else else that's in there that yes. that's trying to sneak in because <laughs> it's not as cool as you thought it was going to be. You know, it's it's all there in that album. I love it, man. We'll do a music friends on that. And me, you and Zach will have a we'll do a referendum on, on that one for sure. Um, OK, the, so that, is that is that pre or post the the, the Bob Dylan uh, explosion special? And, and this is now the three way uh, Arctic Monkeys podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Same episode. We'll do, we're going to do them all together. It's going to be six hours long. It'd be great. So uh, with this award. Uh, so yeah, Alex Turner of Arctic Monkeys and Last Shadow Puppets has had five nominations, one win. Tom York, six nominations, five with Radiohead, one with Eraser, zero wins. I I I, I couldn't even believe this. Uh, in 1997, how did they when... not win for OK Computer? Like that was <laughs> so you like universally called the greatest album release, regardless <laughs> of 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 region, and yet it can't win the best UK album. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like me and now you are just walking into a conversation that I'm sure is very common in 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 pubs and in you know smoky uh, apartment flats in in England, uh, but I'm sure this is like a huge issue there. But I, my mind went to the exact same place. So I looked in 1997, uh, an artist called Ronnie Size and Represent with an album called New Forms won the award. <laughs> which just like, well, I mean, let's let's give that album its props. I mean, it has certainly stood the test of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, Tom, you're I, I like what what is happening? How did how did Radiohead not get like the, you know, like the Lifetime Achievement Award for uh, for Moonshape Pool or something? You know what I mean? Well, frankly, I'm I'm surprised that my earlier joke that U2 hasn't won this like every single year. Aren't they just universally loved by the UK? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, man. So it's interesting. So so where I was going with this is in 2012, Alt-J wins for an awesome wave. And my temperature check here is that that pissed a lot of people off. And like, uh, so in 2014, This Is All Yours isn't nominated. Like the after winning their next album isn't even on the short list. So I feel like there was just like so, some some brushback to their initial thing and people don't like changing their minds. So I think that some of that seeped into some of the reviews for this band and some of the ways that this band is just kind of disseminated and the discourse that surrounds this band and stuff like that. Because the way that people talk about this band and the way that I feel about this band are just so different and that's fine. I, I totally get that. But this is the type of band that you'd think would be critically important or not not important, but critically well reviewed and and maybe not as commercially important, but definitely like better on the critical side. And it's not at all, which is it's just like this disconnect that I can't quite understand. Yeah, it's especially for a band that, you know, has still enjoyed commercial success as well. You know, they have songs that are featured in, you know, movies and commercials and things like that, you know, so it's not like you know, this unknown UK band that is just operating, you know, outside of the commercial space, you know, I, 
maybe you know i i guess maybe i'm wondering why everyone got so pissed off that their debut album won was it was it that uh the follow-up from this you know ronnie fizzle and the adamance uh album uh didn't, didn't win that year either like what's going on here why why would they get pissed at that <laughs> yo ronnie size and the represent had a had an album in 2012 and everyone was really pissed that they didn't repeat you know unbelievable dude um yeah, so I just uh, that award is really interesting. I mean, we can just look at some of the the winners over the last couple of years. Like uh, in 2021, it was Arlo Parks' "Collapse in Sunbeams." Have you listened to that? I have not. It sounds I I, I feel like I'm vaguely familiar with the name Arlo Parks, but I did, no, I have not listened to that. Same, same for have me. Have you listened to was, that one? I haven't. So the, the the thing that I most realized when I was looking at this list, frankly, is how many acts are British or Irish that I didn't know were British or Irish. Like that that was like the thing that I took away most from this list is. So you have uh, Wolf Alice is uh, listed here. Charlie XCX. I didn't know she was British. Um, as we keep going, Idols. I didn't know they were British. The 1975. I didn't know they were British. Um, Wolf Alice actually won in 2018. Florence and the Machine, I don't even think I knew that they were British, frankly. Um, you know, the XX, uh, Glass Animals, I didn't know the Glass Animals was British. Like, where, where the fuck have I been? I, I have no idea what's going on. Um, in two, dude, in 2016, David Bowie, David Bowie doesn't win. How does David Bowie not win for Black Star? Isn't David Bowie like goddamn royalty there I, I i do not know how that works that's so weird yeah well who who won instead i mean i i'll i i wasn't a huge fan of that black star album i felt it was just sort of you know again he died and you know cutting room floor type stuff you make a good point it, it like i i i enjoyed it um but it critically probably was floated a little too high is that fair to say well, yeah, but but to your point though, I mean that you know critically it was lauded as one of the best albums that year, so theoretically it should have won. So, but they they decided to snub it. So Skepta with Konichiwa was the winner that year. There's some random ass fucking artists on here, dude, which I appreciate, and I think there's one thing I should say in this is just that um, we sh we like British music in general is really good. It's really good. Like they incubate some really, really important and like interesting acts over there. And we have seen some well, of our favorite acts go over there and become way more popular because they were incubated by this really passionate fan base who are also tastemakers, White Stripes, Kings of Leon go over there and it blows up their entire career. So I really appreciate the, you know, what's going on. Uh, but I also appreciate that they're totally up their own asses sometimes too. But fun fact: the Beatles were in fact British. So they were. Yeah, that was another one that was just. <laughs> they were in fact uh, from a small <laughs> town called Liverpool, I believe. I don't quote me on that. That might not be accurate. <laughs> yeah, but they ain't shit. They never won a Mercury Prize. Exactly. So what? What the hell does it matter? And you know what else they never won? Eurovision. So are, are they really <laughs> the greatest band ever? Right. Yeah, the list is interesting. Random ass winners. Look at look at Eurovision. That is that is some random ass lists of bands. <laughs> like yeah, it's like ABBA wrote it to stardom, and then it's every band thinks they're going to be ABBA since, and no one has been. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, dude. I mean, just looking at the Radiohead years, like 
PJ Harvey wins in 2001 when Amnesiac is uh, uh, up for it. And then uh, I'm looking for Kid A because uh, I... I was just going to ask about Kid A. I don't think Kid A was nominated. And in fact, it was not nominated, which is incredible. Right. That is incredible. Was, was OK Computer at least uh, a nominated? Yes. Okay. What about the Benz? Did the Benz make it? So the Benz would have been ninety six or ninety five. Let's see. One of those years, uh, earlier than uh, OK Computer. Negative. Uh, it is not not on the list. But in nineteen ninety seven, Spice Girls Spice was a nominee. Didn't win though. Did not win. No. Uh, and I don't see the. Um, so Pablo Honey was the first one, right? And then was it the Benz? Pablo Honey Benz? Yeah. Yeah, neither of those uh, were nominated. So very interesting. Uh, I imagine, again, that this is a big topic of conversation uh, across the pond, uh, but we're just stumbling into it for the first time, and here we are, and it is what it is, I suppose. Well, listen, we'll, we'll call it a mixed bag because at the very least they, they gave that debut album, whatever uh, you say I am, that's what I'm not, from Arctic Monkeys, The Victory. So, that's you know, true. sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. It's a mixed bag. Love the perspective. All right, so long-winded answer there. Did you have uh, an insight for the dream here? Yeah, so one of, the, one of the things that I was reading about it is that it was definitely written in the aftermath of Relaxer. You know, so they're touring off of this, the, the, their last album, and then, then they start recording this one in 2018. Um, and one of the things they really talked about in a lot of their interviews about that is is this idea of, you know, rebirth throughout it all. And, and I think you could really kind of hear them, you know, almost let go of expectations throughout this album because... Um, Love that. You, you know, you you talked about Relaxer a few times, and you talk about it quite longingly. I am not that big of a fan of Relaxer. So okay. while I feel like the first two albums from Alt J, and well, you know, this is coming up to the next answer already. Um, you know, I I love those first two albums by Alt J, um, but I feel like Relaxer felt very rushed. Like it was just one of those albums that you know you're you're facing the weight of expectations. Uh, commercially, they had really blown up. Uh, with this is all yours, um, and and they felt they needed to keep riding that that momentum in that moment. I feel like, and it and it just came with this album that 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 felt that felt forced at times, um, and 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 it very this album very much I feel like let go of that. You know, it was okay. We tried that. It didn't work out. Let's let this next album kind of breathe for the next four years. You know, let's let's get our ideas out on pen and paper. You know, let's record some of this stuff. Let's get it. Let's get it out there. But let's refine it for the next few years. Let's let's perfect it. Let's get these sounds going where we want them to go. I like that charting of their path. I would say that I, the way you feel about Relaxer is the way I feel about this is all yours. And I would say that Relaxer is a is a personal album to me. Like the the reasons I enjoy it are so tied to like when I was in Japan and like these like weird connections that I made with it. So I'm almost compromised to like really critically give it an honest appraisal. So um yeah, I, I I'm with that. And I would also say that 
both Relaxer and This Is All Yours are somewhat front-loaded to me. Um, it seems like all of the good songs uh, are pushed more towards the front, whereas An Awesome Wave and The Dream, I think, are, are pretty stacked all the way through. Um, and I would definitely group those two albums as as the ones that I enjoy the most. But I, I love that, man, because I totally, I totally feel that, and you got that in some of the interviews and them talking about it, uh, that they seemingly really put their weight into this album. And it sounds like it. So we, we, I already started already touching upon this question, but what do you think? Is this their best album? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, led right into it, but I think it's this one or an awesome wave. Um, an awesome wave is really good. Like it's really, really good. It, It doesn't sound like anything else. I remember I played that album for my uncle, Johnny, who along with you and maybe Ritay, maybe a few others, my buddy Scott, are kind of like my musical gurus, the people that have influenced my music listening more than anyone else. I remember playing it for him and he was just like, what the fuck is this? Like I, he just like tried to draw comps to it and just like really, really failed to. Um, but I would definitely say this is my favorite. This is absolutely my favorite Alt-J album, um, start to finish. It just feels super complete. Um, Many of, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of uh, uh, shot my load here as far as, far as uh, my takes on the on the best album uh, right before we got to it. But yeah, I, I think the middle two are a little weaker, but now you're bookended by probably their better two, which honestly is an interesting arc for a band. Uh, after making maybe weaker albums in the middle, you'd start to expect maybe some formulaic kind of going down the same route type of music and they brought it together and made a fucking ripper album which is which is pretty sweet what do you think yeah i I, i'm with you um i like i said i definitely put this above relaxer i i felt like that one was was rushed and pushed out there um i'm still a huge fan of this is all yours and it might be just the fact that that was one of that first you know i really didn't get into them in their first album i got into them at this is all yours that's when okay that's when i got on board with them all um like you said very very much leading into uh, it's funny that that you mentioned about how like you know this album came out about a month before my wedding because i do remember you know the story of danny just up and went to japan you know he he decided to go you know just just quit his job and leave and and now he's back and and then you started talking to me about Alt J, and that's that's when I got into it. And then you came back a few months later, like, "Hey, man, you want to go see him at Meadowbrook?" And it's like, "Hell yeah, man! Let's let's go for it!" Like, I'm I'm all about yeah. it. So that was really my jumping in point for them. So I cannot necessarily deny the influence or the 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 unbiased or the unconscious bias that I might have towards that for that very reason. Um, you know, but but I would probably put this album right behind that one. Um, okay, nice. You know, they're, they're, this is all yours. Is your favorite? Is, Damn, is, nice. Yeah, that, that that one is my favorite. I, I, I just can't let go of, of the time and place and, and how that album makes me feel. Um, but again, this is it, it's it's tough for me to to heap that kind of praise upon an album that's only been out for about, you know, three months now. Um, but it is it, it, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely grown on me. So I'll say that, like, you know, when you when you first presented this album as the one that you wanted to choose and, and talk about, um, I was mildly taken aback. You know, you asked if I had listened to it at all. And it's like, well, yeah, I'd listened to it one time, but I don't think I'd really given it the time of day that I that I prob- probably probably should have given it to because it was one of those, you know, I listened to it and, you know, maybe I didn't listen to the lyrics close enough. And I, you know, I kind of sent it on its way and 
and I kind of, you know, I'll come back to that maybe when a, in a few few weeks or whatever it may be. Um, but it, it's definitely one that has, you know, since then, you know, just kind of bubbled up with this this incredible meaning and this the, 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 these incredible sounds and, and feelings that that'll make you do it. And and now it's like you said, it's definitely entered into those playlists. Um, it's entered all into the the kid playlist because obviously the lyrics are. They, they, they keep the the foul words to a minimum at the very least um, at, at certain times, um, but it's it's one of those ones that you can put on in, in any sort of mood and 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 really vibe to it. I'm with that. Yep, I'm with that. Uh, yeah, for me, a lot of times it's about how much juice you can really, like really squeeze out of an album, and this album just continues to be enjoyable. Like a lot of times you'll, you know, it'll come out, you listen to it one through six times, depending on how much you like it. And then you generally put it away, right? This one came out and I was just like, I just like keep kind of rotating it back in. And, uh, you know, that type of tread tends to imprint, uh, you know, a long lasting impression of an album. And I just think where this is going, it, it'll definitely be my favorite. I was going to ask, um, before we get to the custom question, what do you remember of the show that we went to go see them? Well, so, I mean, what do you mean in general? Like, it's just in general. In like, general, so I, I stand out like things, would, anything, anything. I, I remember being you hanging out that day. I, re I remember yeah. us going to the show. Um, you know, we went, we went and hung out, and we found that nice little niche that is right on the the stage right of uh, Meadowbrook that no one seems to know exists. But yes. you can go on the lawn, and you can basically go right to right up against the stage, and no one knows that you can get that close over on that side. Um, I remember just jamming out to this band. I remember it, I, I believe it even rained that day, I think on us a little bit too, but it didn't seem to affect us whatsoever. And we just had a grand old time, just, just drinking beers and jamming out to them on the lawn. Yeah, that's, that's basically what I remember. I remember the, the starter band was good. And I remember loving a few songs of theirs. I remember looking them up and I can't, their name escapes me now, but I have some of their songs on my playlist. Um, I remember that Alt-J, and I don't remember which song, I remember they had like a false start. Do you remember that? Like they started a song and they're like, wait, fuck it. And they fucked up and then they started again. Oh, which, yep. yes. which is, I think that's only happened at like a few shows that I've been to. I remember the Counting Crows when I saw them back in like 2001 uh they like started a song and then fucked it up and then started again so i mean i don't hold it against them their music i'm i'm, I'm always more about the records than anything else so i didn't really care about that uh but it does stick in my mind it was like one of the standouts that i remember from the show well i love it i love it when an artist shows their their human side on that and you know they, they i yeah. believe they even kind of laughed it off like oh shoot sorry guys we'll start that again let's do that one more time all right <laughs> i think they have like, a great sense of humor they 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 got made fun of really bad there was this viral video i don't know if this came up in your research but uh i watched it and it, and it was like these two kids making fun of like how Alt-J write their songs. And they made this phone, like a fake Alt-J song called Put It In the, in Your Butt or something like that. And they just had like these floaty vocals and like these repeating shaker sounds. And like, it sounded like an Alt-J song. And so it was clearly like pretty like hurtful making fun of them. I think it got like 14 million views. I, I looked at it today and Alt-J um, didn't respond to it, but they made the video, the thumbnail of like their Twitter account or something. So I think that they like, I don't know. They're not like super defensive, it seems like. 
well, you got to have a little bit of humor about yourself to, to survive in that type of world. Because again, not, not everyone is going to love what you put out there. So um, you, you've got to have some thick skin about it all because, you know, as they famously said in, in, uh, in Wayne's world, you know, the B, you know, the Led Zeppelin didn't make uh, music that everyone loved. They left that to the Bee Gees. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. All right, David, uh, we're, we're nearing the end here. What do you got in the way of a custom question for Alt J? So my custom question for Alt J and I'm, I, I am curious what made you choose this album for this episode of your of your wonderful podcast here so i'm i'm curious um you obviously said in our in our teaser that you had some other ones in the hopper um or other choices that you were kind of going through but you ultimately uh settled on this one so so what uh what actually brought you to this point or, or why did you decide to go with this particular album by this particular band basically twofold because only you and i went to that alt j show so in a way, it was just like something that we shared. Um, but then also it was an album that had come out this year, which I, I wanted to try to do more modern stuff. Um, so basically those two things put together. I, I left a lot of juice to squeeze for the other albums in case I wanted to do some of the other Alt-J albums. But this one was new. I'd only listened to it once or twice when we before we did the teaser. And I again, like I kind of was extrapolating how much I'd already liked it and where I thought it was going for me. So generally with, with music friends, it's like when we pick the album, when we end up doing the podcast are very different points. So I usually am picking something that I'm fairly certain I'm going to continue to like for like the next month or so that I'll be researching it. So, um, yeah, something we connected on an album I loved and that was, was fairly current. Um, so yeah. Good thing you were right about that trajectory. Could you imagine if you really started to hate this album and this just turned into a bash on Alt-J podcast? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's happened to me before. I'll be like set on one and then I'll like kind of wane enthusiasm on it. And then by the time of the teaser, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm out on this. And like that day, I'll have listened to something else. And I'm like, all right, I'm rolling with that. Um, all right. So with my with the wild card. Yeah, the wild card pick. Um so my, I have a series of custom questions. Uh, I just want to know what you're listening to, man. I just want to know what, what, what you're up to. What am I listening to? I, I'll be frank like that. Very much dominated by Run the Jewels right now. Like that, nice. that Run the Jewels 4 album has just been. It's so been, good. It's like so the, good. Uh, I, I will, I'll venture off for an album or two and listen to other stuff for a while. But I, I always seem to put that back in the hopper. Um, uh, beyond that, you know, I've I am hotly anticipating this Kendrick Lamar album. I think it it is going to be incredible. Um, I've been listening to more of his old stuff in anticipation of it coming out. Bro, it's out. Um, it's available. It's it's been out for a oh, week or two. I've got a podcast on it, dude. You got to listen to the pod as a as a listening companion. I I have missed this latest episode by you. Then I, I last <laughs> last one I listened to was you and Dill talking uh, talking rage. <laughs> it was a weird scenario where I basically put out podcasts on consecutive days. I just like it, just like how the timing worked out. But I'm so glad to hear that you're a Kendrick Lamar fan. That was going to be like one of the next things I talked about. I, I couldn't remember where you stood on him. He's like not just one of my favorite. Ra he's like one of my favorite, one of my favorite artists, like without question. And uh, I won't spoil the record too much for you, but I am, I am in love with the new album. It, it is, it is 
a lot of things and it is connecting with me on all of the different planes. So, um, yeah, listen to the pod, dude. We, we, we did like a, after like five days after it came out, I think we did like a, a four way pod on it, uh, and got into a lot of the stuff. So that'll be of good utility for you. I would think. Nice. Yeah. I, w- I want to get into that. And then the one that, uh, actually just showed up up at my door earlier today is the new black keys album so nice. i haven't gotten a chance to even put it on the record player yet but i am uh i can't wait for that uh probably probably dive into that uh if not tomorrow definitely friday or saturday i love the keys um I, I've got a I've got another Black Keys point that'll come next here, but um, I I've dug into the new one and um, I love it. I I think they're one of the more reliable musicians or, or artists kind of in my repertoire. Like you know, it, you kind of know what you're getting when they when they put out new records. Um, and I don't want to go too far as to spoil it for you, but it's it's good. It's like a Keys record. It's you know it's like refreshing. It's so reliable to be able to put them on and just be like oh. New Black Keys music. I love it. Um, so, exactly. yeah. Um, you you, I've been you this- talked about those bands earlier that uh, you put on and you you don't know where they're going to go, but you know you're going to like it. Black Keys are definitely one you put on. You're like, I have a good understanding of where it's probably going to go, but I'm still probably going to like it. Although it's so it, fucking re- funny that you make that connection because I actually wrote, that's in my notes, and I just didn't read that part of it earlier. So <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> Well, and, and, but but the one time that like the Black Keys and, and, and God, this is a whole different podcast type subject of like, you know, the best albums by the Black Keys. But like the when I yeah. lo- like what made me lo- fall in love with them is when they were doing albums with Danger Mouse and like, oh, my God, did that guy get them out of their comfort zone and get them introduced kind of this world of hip hop that kind of completed their sound from, you know, the old blues type to, you know, their influences to modern, you know, hip hop production type (laughs) bro so my next question was what music if any reminds you of me and i'm gonna i'm gonna just skip to my answer for that and the number one for sure is attack and release i remember you sat me down in your truck we were smoking weed as as is customary and you were like you need to listen to this (laughs) you need to listen to this and uh that album fucked me up that album fucked me up for years. I, I think I think it fucked up the industry for years. You you had the theory early on that rock like everything in rock sounded like the Black Keys for like six years, and you were totally right. You were totally right. Um, I feel like everyone was trying to sound that way, and that run with Danger Mouse is so 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 good. Attack and Release reminds me of you. Uh, the first Dead Weather record reminds me of you. Nashville Skyline, your long-running favorite Dylan record, reminds me of you. Um, all 80s Dylan reminds me of you. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, that's not a good one. <laughs> uh, Get Behind Me Satan reminds me of you. I remember one of our music hangs, I came over, and we were just going through your CDs. I had to retroactively get into the white stripes. I didn't catch the white stripe thing as it happened. Um, and you got me into the white stripes. And I remember you let me borrow some of their CDs. And I remember I asked, I don't know why I remember this, but that day I was like, man, what are, what are some of their more bluesy albums? And you just like handed get behind me, Satan to me. <laughs> and I'll always remember that. Um, RTJ two reminds me of you because I, I think you were the one if not my friend Julian that got me in to run the jewels, I, I can't remember, but we obviously saw run the jewels together. So um, they definitely remind me of you too. 
I was going to say that, I, that I, I'm going to have to dispute your your memory on that one because if you were okay. to ask me the, the albums that remind me of you, it's going to be Run the Jewels too because that was one of the ones that you put yes. in my hands. Like, because oh, okay. there are okay. very few, listen, we we've got our musical friends and and you've got your your musical friends as well that that I think helps uh, diversify some of these uh, musical tastes of yours. But within our immediate group of friends that we share, I feel like we're the only two that can really sit here and wax poetic regularly about hip hop. Um, yeah. You know, yep. If we try to sit here and talk hip hop with Zach, like his eyes are going to glaze over. If we talk. You know, hip hop with Dill or, or Mark or any of those guys that they, they, they glaze over, you know, but but when me and you sit down and we start talking hip hop, we actually can have like a connection and we can share that kind of information. We can appreciate it for what it is. So like when you handed me run the jewels and you're like, you're you dude, you're going to appreciate this on a whole nother nice. level. Like it's like it, it was it was, you know, again, like mind opening when I when I heard them and and um you know again i i mentioned them already as an earlier album but like i think of when i think of you i think of kendrick lamar because you were one of the first people yes. to put put his uh his debut album oh my in god there. and i, I am remember, so cool i'm so cool right now this is keep going just floating <laughs> my ego this is brilliant so, but 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 again the 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 number one with a bullet that that if I'm thinking like chilling with Danny and and the <laughs> album that comes to mind it's that Arctic Monkeys album because again that was yes, such a time okay. and a place that like is ingrained with my my brain and it was it was very early on like in all of our friendship you know you got you, you know I yeah. kind of met you guys after the fact in general you know you guys were all kind of high school friends and stuff like that I didn't I didn't hang out with the, you know I didn't go to the same high school didn't hang out with you guys all that much prior to that. Uh, but then, you know, we, we all kind of convened around the, the, the late high school, early college age and, and hung out at these parties. And that was one of those moments like, like, oh, my God, like I, I, we, we all have this appreciation for music. And we all realize in that moment that what we're about, what we're witnessing is that incredible. And we all have yeah. that same thought at the same time. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Yeah, we're going to have to to do the Arctic Monkeys thing for sure. That's cool, dude. I, I didn't know. I I that's that's really cool i i you know i was really excited when i wrote this question down uh we'd be able to draw these connections and that's 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 really cool yeah i didn't know i handed you run the jewels i i thought it was the opposite way <laughs> we're such potheads this is amazing um <laughs> no, you, no you definitely did because i like i remember you're like dude you got to listen to this album like i've i've read about these guys and i know killer mike like i like killer mike from his uh earlier works i don't see why i wouldn't like this one and then uh, oh my god it was mind-blowing <laughs> and then we go to that concert which was it, it was a hip-hop concert but i have never been to a more punk concert in my life and that includes yeah. when we went and got went and saw rage against the machine in in wisconsin like the that was an incredible energy and incredible atmosphere it all paled to the energy and atmosphere that happened at that run the jewels concert because it was just this raw this raw energy that that just permeated throughout that entire venue and it was incredible <laughs> i was really drunk that night i it was a it was a great time i got super drunk at that run the jewels show it was uh and we super were all drunk. wearing onesies it was a beautiful thing <laughs> <laughs> yes indeed all right last question if you could see any band at any time in history who would it be well the obviously it is it is nirvana um nice okay it, it's so tough to not be cliche with this answer because yeah. you know you and me you know we find any excuse to see any band for any reason you know there has been um 
my wife will forever hold a grudge against me because uh, a few years back um, she had never seen Tom Petty. Tom Petty was coming into into town. Um, it was a random Tuesday night that he was performing a DTE, and I'm like, you know what? I've seen him half a dozen times. It's a random Tuesday, not very convenient for us. Let's see him next summer. Let's let's roll this around next summer. Um, and then, of course, the guy ups and dies from fentanyl uh, overdose oh. a few months later. And now my wife will forever blame me for <laughs> for denying her her chance to ever see Tom Petty live. But you know, it, it, but it's just one of those lessons that, like guys, like we all need to live our life, and we can't live with those regrets and, and see anyone you can at any time. And I feel like we've we've tried our best to kind of live by that at most times. So, you know, a, a lot of the bands in our in our you know demographic age demographic that that were coming up when we were when we were uh, you know at the age that we would be hitting these concerts up, we we did our best to see them. So. Um, you know, at this point, you know, we've got nothing but cliche answers left, you know, things like Nirvana, things like the Beatles, um, everything else we have tried to go and see if they can, um, you know, things like Bob Dylan, you, you, you go and see him, even though it's a shell of what he once could do, but it's still close enough that it counts. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's all super accurate. And it's funny you say the Beatles, cause that's probably, probably my answer. Um, I might be able to get a little more clever if I thought about it, but I think it would it would end up being the Beatles. Uh, the last thing I was gonna say, and it's just something I forgot to tack on, is that you mentioned the thing about hip hop, and I, I so give you credit because I feel like you were always finding weird kind of niche places in hip hop before weird niche hip hop was a thing, and now it's definitely a thing, like weirdo hip hop, weirdo rap. Um, atmosphere like you were super into i i just feel like you were you were seeking out um all these little weird places that helped me deepen my appreciation for hip-hop I, I was always more of like a classic kind of hip-hop guy like tupac and biggie and nas were like really my gateway into it and then it expanded from there um but you you were always looking for the the weirder stuff which i appreciate it's funny that you mentioned the atmosphere too because like you know and again as as the uh pre preparedness for this podcast you know obviously listening to both of these albums quite a bit um but i i kind of broke away just to kind of do a palate cleanser um with my kids in the car on one drive and i put on atmospheres uh when life gives you lemons, you paint that shit gold. And I had just yes. this incredible dread of, man, I should have picked this album. It would have given me so much stuff to talk about, too. And that's all right. Next time. <laughs> we'll, we'll do an um, entire series. It'll be a 10-part series. Dude, I want to do these for a long, long time. Um, you mentioned Petty. I didn't know you were a huge Petty guy. So you're you're a pretty big Petty guy? Oh, yeah. T top, top, top five of all time, Petty. <laughs> All right, dude. So I, I've been throwing around an idea and we'll talk about it later, but I want to do like a petty kind of megapod, maybe centered around wildflowers. Um, but I, I've I've got the team now. I, I have like the right personnel to do this. We, we, we'll definitely do it. The starting five. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> dude, we did it. Um, thanks for the time, man. This is an absolute delight to be able to catch up with you. Absolutely. Um, we're going to do it many more times. 
Absolutely. Well, it, whether we record it or not, we're going to do this hundreds and hundreds of more times. It's just uh, it's just whether or not we decide to hit the record button. Let me ask you something. When did music become so important? It's always been important. I mean, jingles. Yeah. No, everybody keeps coming and looking for some song. And they're so specific. You love specific. I have no idea what's going on out there. Well, no one can keep up. It's always changing. So, Pritchy, what is the album going to be, my man? I'm picking what, um, you know, just about every musical publication that ranks albums considers top 15 all time and, and one that I enjoyed the hell out of when I was your age <clears throat> and one that I think you would really like. And it's a little bit of a departure for me. I think you'll agree because I think you know me to be, you know, the kind of stuff that I go with, but I'm, I'm going with London calling by the clash. Oh, yes. <laughs> what a great call, man. Uh, yeah. So I've listened to this many times. Uh, I love it. I, I've always wanted to get more into it. So tell me, tell me about your, your kind of thought process and how you got there. Well, you know, The Clash, when The Clash came out, to me, they were, they were pushing punk. But when actually, when they kind of changed their own to be a little bit more American, let's call it, um, a little bit more anti-establishment, not just, you know, full-blown punk, but making a social statement um, and they came out with some stuff, dude. I mean, you know, London Calling is a great tune. Rockin' the Casbah is a great Clash song. Those are popular songs. It has one of my favorite all-time rock and roll songs, dude, uh, The Clampdown, which is, mm. is, you know, how the government puts clampdowns on young people and how people resist. But it's just... I think of you when I hear it. It has that kind of like punk beat. I don't. When you get to listen to it, listen for the clampdown because there's the other thing about that album is that it was very popular and they put out a lot of music on a double album. That's yeah. kind of rare. That's kind of rare for a rock album. So I mean, just to be considered great. In other words, whenever to me, whenever they figure greatness, they're like every cut on the freaking album is good. So they got a double album and they still consider it great. You know, yeah. that's pretty. So I don't, I'm not going to go over all the songs, but I think I'm going to pick about four or five and that, that cover the different themes that the clash were going after at that time. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a great album. I was excited to, to kind of surprise you with that. Uh, I couldn't be more pleased. Uh, an act that I, have always liked, but have always wanted to spend some, some more time researching. And this will obviously give me the opportunity. So with, with my pick, uh, I actually, so I just looked up, uh, London Calling was 1979. And uh, I, I'm going with a band that I know you like, and we've never spoken about a ton. I, I just know that you like them a lot. And it's an album that is in a similar time frame. So this is 1977's, the debut album, The Talking Heads 77. Uh, so 
<laughs> We've got a, a couple albums that are just like right there next to each other chronologically, but uh, I think a couple Pritchy specials for sure. You really are, man. The Talking Heads. I mean, I listen to the Talking Heads to this day. Yeah. Like when you open, you open up my YouTube, right, and 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 it has my playlist. Take Me to the River is on there. She Was is on there. I mean, it's just the Talking Heads were fabulous. And one of the cool things about the Talking Heads, I, I listened. I heard David Byrne one time, and he 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 would have these big shoulder pads under his suit to make it big. He said he learned that from the Japanese. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, their shows were pretty cool, but yeah, that's a great album, man. That's great. I, I really listened to that album a lot. Nice. So this is one that I don't know that well. I know Speaking in Tongues really well. I know Stop Making Sense, the, the video, the iconic uh, kind of soundtrack live concert album but i didn't know this one a ton and i outside of the the album that followed speaking in tongues which i think is little creatures i none of their albums had really sunk into me so i'm going to go through some of the early stuff i'm going to listen to some of the stuff i've already listened to i just want to know more about the talking heads i know for a fact that they were such an influence on the alternative rock that really kind of spun my head as I was starting to listen to rock. Arcade Fire really comes to mind. That's been a, an important band for my generation's alternative rock in the 2000s, 2010s, what have you. So I'm stoked, man. couple absolute classic, iconic albums. Uh, was there anything else you considered in yours, or did you really land on that pretty hard? Yeah, no, I was, no, I was considering another one that um, I'll share with you that I think you'll dig. And you funny, it's funny you just brought something up that that is part of my reasoning uh, for this album that I, I was going to pick, and maybe I will down the road. Um, but uh, shit, it just I just lost my my train of thought. It's all oh, good. Shit. I I keep thinking about Sergeant Pepper's. I I know one of these times we come together that you're going to call on me. Yeah, go ahead. All right, I just remembered. Yeah, because. Both of the albums you and I picked are bands that were alternative or punk. Yeah. But they captured sounds that made them pop and they made, you know, they made radio. They sold a lot of records. You might even call them album oriented rock. Yeah, right? there you go. But they, but they were at that time. But there's another band. Every time I hear them, I just stop. I mean, I stop. I'm stopped in my tracks and that's Radiohead. And I, I love Radiohead. Dude, I was thinking about, you know, that. But I want to listen to a little bit more Radiohead so I can kind of pinpoint a few songs and what they're getting after from a social angle. But, you know, I've seen them a few times. And, you know, that to me is that's like the commitment I like to see in, in, in uh, bands. I like how you've, you've framed a lot of that. Radiohead's a, a complicated band for a lot of people my age. I would say that a lot of the people that really really dig into music generally tend to like radiohead a lot but if you're a more casual fan a tough band to like want to put on all the time but definitely one of my generation's most important bands uh as far as pushing the envelope uh sonically but then but uh also from a political sense and just from a um honestly like a intellectual sense it's 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 definitely like a thinking person's kind of band if that doesn't sound too pretentious but yeah i agree 
I think that's my primary point is that they didn't really, Radiohead was never going to give in to changing their style to be even remotely pop. Yes, exactly right. Clash, like the Clash did and Talking Heads did. Um, and, and it could be that the Talking Heads, it was inadvertent, like the, they were just doing their thing and then they just, you know, had a sound that everybody kicked on. But to me, the clash was kind of obvious that they were good. They had a couple albums before London Calling. But man, then that's when they really broke out, you know, Rockin' the Casbah. Like I said, uh, London Calling is a great tune. Nitty Jazz on there is a great tune. Uh, what's the other one I was just mentioning? Clamp Down. So I had to go with that one, and I'm excited that you like it. 